Welcome to the Dubious Consumers Podcast for the week of March 8th. My name is Justin Hurd. My name is Nathan Steinman. And hey, I'm back. It's Dave Ferguson. Oh, Yay! what the fuck? Dave's here, man. I guess. Yeah, I mean, first time in... Uh, two months? Two, over, two months. Two, uh, almost over two months. Yeah, two yeah. months. Two episodes later. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you guys, you guys, you know, it looks like you held it together without me. Yeah, we we yeah we, we just happened to have uh, extra people, including Katie, on the podcast. I guess it was three episodes because it was Daryl, then Katie, then Skyler. Skyler so. Yeah, and Skyler was going to try and be here today. Couldn't because he had family in town. Daryl was going to try and be here, but decided not. But he can be here any time now. Now the rules are for Daryl, and I don't know you, but you're listening. <laughs> you don't get to talk shit about the show. <laughs> I think I think you technically. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure anybody can technically you, talk shit. Yeah, about it was the like show. okay, you, you can talk shit about. Have the you show. ever written anything on the internet, yeah, dude? That's the I hate that about the internet. Don't you? Sometimes. Honestly, like that's the worst thing about uh, it. You know, well, that I, was that was that was kind of your point. Of did we really need another yeah, um, YouTube I, I, show about everybody hating the yeah, fucking movies? I, I came across a YouTube channel. I don't even remember what it is, but every single video, the title of it was. How bad is X? How bad is the happening? How bad is Trolls 2? How bad is... Is it Justin's side project? See, while you were gone, we actually ran into several times where the last 15 minutes of a movie actually made the movie yeah. as opposed to destroying it. Like, I, you know, I, I saw Jupiter's Ascending. Loved it. Did you really? First half, or well, first second half of it, I did. The first half was well. It's character building. Character building's well, never really that good. Yeah, but the second half, I was like, oh, I love this. I want to see it. I just haven't got the chance. Oh to. man, yeah. So, um, what have we been doing? I guess you know, Dave. What have you been doing since it's been two and a half months? Well, I'm going to keep my topics down to three. Yay! Rules! Yay! Rules! Right, <laughs> But yeah, no, we're we're not we're not talking about what you've seen. We're just I, what, what's been going on with dude, you, dude. Uh, I, I see a new tattoo. Well, that's the same tattoo. Just got more work done. Yeah, I had, you know, I had already paid for it, you know, in advance, so I had to take advantage of that. Seems kind of a weird way to. No, that's how I ensure that I can still get it done. Oh, oh, oh. that's how I do things. Okay. See, yeah, I just I just wait I, until I have the money, and then I call the guy and go, "Okay, um, I'll be there in a week." No, I just pay it. I just say I'm going to come in for two hours this day, and we'll do it that day. See, see what's good about my tattoo artist, at least with this clock one that I've been working on, is that he likes it so much that he it's only two hundred dollars per session, no matter how long he works on it. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So I spent way too much money on it. Yeah, well, but you know, it's at least look that's great the way it goes when it's done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I he's think. forty, you know, <laughs> he's got so much work into it. I mean, I've got another one that's going to be like that. I'm just going to make it go up my neck and into my face, <laughs> and you know, pretty soon I'll just be the clockwork man. Yeah. Well, I just turned uh, thirty-one uh, back on the twenty-third. Yay. Yeah, I turned thirty-one in a couple of months. So. Yeah. Congrats. Boom. Yeah. How I old is this young buck over um, here? I'm still 28. <laughs> I turned 29 in a couple of months. Yay. <laughs> Good job. So, yeah, I've survived. And I have two kids. What the fuck? Yeah, so do I. It's horrible. Don't yeah, have kids, I, Nathan. I, Just don't do it. I, I don't have kids yet. Don't so. have them. You know, we, we've covered this several times. It's all up you know, but I, I need I, I to will, emphasize the don't. It's all I, I, up will, I will have to show you the dedication I'm going to put on my book whenever it's self-published. Yeah. Because it references... 
um, some of the things we've talked about here. So. <laughs> Great, that's awesome. Uh, Dave I, for the constant dick references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe it. Uh, I believe it's something along the lines of "to the lovably, lovably insane" or "my lovably insane wife, Katie." Yeah. Um, as well as our my two demon children. Yeah. You know, <laughs> are lovable but demon. Are you know my two children lovable but demons in their own right? Yeah, that's right. You yeah. know that yeah. sort of thing. So it's funny you mention that. So it, we'll go into it later when we dive into our uh, consuming portion of the show. Uh, my my youngest one, John John. God damn it, that kid. <laughs> so the other day, he's got an issue with, uh, in one of these days he'll come across this, hopefully, and he'll get to hear me make fun of him on, oh, good, good. on yeah. podcast. Well, I mean, Yay. The, the posterity. You know? yeah. Yeah. So he has this issue with washing his ears. He has an issue with shower water hitting him in the face and head. He does not like it. He yeah. doesn't go under the water in pools. Well, he just doesn't fucking dig it, man. Yeah, Gr- Graham. Anytime he takes a shower, I like I he'll he'll stand underneath the stream. He'll be good to go. Yeah. But when it comes to washing his hair, I have to pick him up. He screams yeah. at the top of his lungs, like tries to get away from me, and like yeah, this it's whole, horrible. What what is wrong with you? What are you You're doing? Just it's just water, goddamn it! It's yeah. not going to kill you. I had ear infections so much in my childhood that like. By the time I was like swimming age, I had to wear like the plugs. The, the plugs, or no, no, it wasn't even plugs. It was like this play doh kind of stuff that yeah. was that was clear, and it took and, over the whole. Yeah, and you put it over, and like so, I just never wanted to go well, he never until really I was a had... teenager. Did I even want yeah. to really go like put my head underwater? He never really had. He just has an issue with it. I don't know. Anyway, so his ears get dirty right here, <laughs> and you can fucking see it. It's nasty, <laughs> and so I don't. He's coming out of the shower, and I'm like, Hey, John, John. Did you uh, did you wash your ears in the shower? Because your hair doesn't look that you know wet. Even if you might have dried it with a towel, it still looks damp. His shit just looked like he got out of the out of a bed. You know, just looked furry. <laughs> and I just and he's like, well, I may have washed my ears in the shower. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I, well, and I, and so I went I went all Tony Soprano on. I'm like, well, maybe you get a rag from the from the laundry room. Maybe you go in the bathroom, <laughs> run some hot water on it, and wash your ears. Maybe you do that. Maybe I don't know the difference if you did it in the shower or you did it there. I'll let you decide. So he comes back out, and he's, and he's trying to be honest about not doing it in the shower but doing it right then. I'm like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I don't need to know that. I just yeah. know that it got done. I don't care how you did it. It doesn't make any difference to me. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. And so Angela is dying. She is hysterically <laughs> laughing because, like, I'm trying to teach John to not admit guilt. Right. But still stay, say face, you know, like still, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I did it. Th- yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I did it that way. All right. You know, and so, and he, 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 he didn't, he, he just couldn't fucking put his mind around it, man. <laughs> and, you know, so he's just trying to, like, tell the truth. And it's I'm like, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm no. down over there, okay? You don't need to say that. All I need to know is ears are clean. It got done. It got done. That's what. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, I still run into that with my twenty-something-year-old employees. We're just like, okay, I've taught you to do something. You fucked it up. Did you get it fixed? Yes. I don't need to know about it. Yep. Now, if you don't, if you did fuck it up beyond belief, and then don't tell me about it. That's when we're gonna tussle. Yeah, but as long as you can fix it without me knowing about it, I'm cool. Yeah, you're fine. Don't oversell what you've done. Well, the the problem is is when you're like, you have that moment as an employee. Where you're like, I didn't do this, <laughs> yeah. but it's fucked up, and I can't fix it. 
but they're not going to sell them, so I have to go like and you know what? And I'm, I'm hang just, myself. The, the to, problem, actually, what happens with me is that we're such a small company that the accounts manager will send me an email going, what's up with this? I'm like, I don't know why they added in uh, $36,000 worth of comics <laughs> when we only had 700 originally over 65 pieces. But and I also don't know why they only transferred they transferred everything out, but then only put twenty three thousand dollars back. In. Yeah. So I'm gonna look into this. Yeah. I'm gonna do some research. So uh, what happened? Well, I thought I had fixed it. You put in thirty six thousand. <laughs> you took it out and then only put twenty three back in. You put in thirty six thousand to begin with. Put thirty six thousand back in. Right. You know. <laughs> and, well, Make it zero, <laughs> goddammit. I can fix well, it if it's zero. Well, you know, actually what we're supposed to do is figure out what the price was before we screwed it up, take everything out of the system, and then put it back in with the correct amount of pieces at that original cost. Yeah, and there's no way <sighs> either of those numbers are correct. <laughs> right. And you're like, oh, my God. Right. And <laughs> this has happened before. I, You know, I've had several employees that have accidentally screwed. One person never only put in the cost of one of the units for like 30 of the units. So she put $3 in over 30 units when each one was supposed to have $3 for each of the 30 units. So it was like my margin 10 is, cents or whatever. You yeah, know? my margin is amazing <laughs> on these things. And it's like a year later, like, hey, what's going on with these? I don't, I, know. I don't know, but I can fix what I can fix. <laughs> this is something it, can't well, be fixed. The, the, the weird thing is, is that the way my mind works... Brief tangent, and we'll be back on. Oh, no, it's, it's but, fine. But um, the way my mind works is that I go, okay, so we accidentally sold one piece for the entire that had the entire cost of everything <laughs> that was on that order. What I should do is put every other piece back in at zero dollars, zero dollars, zero cents, because at that point I am never going to be able to recoup that cost yeah. of everything I've sold. Unfortunately, corporate goes. Well, it was a fuck-up to begin with, so you need to just put them back in at the price that they're supposed to be. But I've already sold my cost for all those pieces in one thing that I sold for $3. I'm not going to make back the money. Oh, we'll just note it. They're not going to note it. They're not. It just pads their numbers, man. Yeah. (laughs) It makes them look better than you. Well, the the one thing that (laughs) I Good old SEC. (laughs) The one thing I do like about Vintage Stock that I've never had at a company before is that they actually tell us how much our cost is. So... There's none of this guessing games like when we were at Game Crazy and yeah. they had to have an entire meeting during our you know yearly corporate meeting to go okay so when you have a game it costs sixty or it, the price is sixty dollars but it costs us fifty dollars yeah because so, we buy them in a large enough bulk right, across so, the entire company but, so make sure you're not doing you know nothing squirrely's going on you know this is you you if you over pre order this is how many you have to make up to for one you have to sell six to make back one. That you, you lose, over-ordered. and if you lose, if I remember when three sixties came out, if you lost one, it oh, yeah. took you thirty. Yeah, to get it back, well, you only make like four dollars on, on these systems. System. But Jeez. so, but the thing with vintage stock is, and the thing I love is that I can look at it and go, okay, my used cost. We rented one, we took it down ten bucks, so instead of fifty two dollars, it's forty two dollars. Cool. If I have one person who brings in something, and we buy it off them for ten bucks. That means over those two items, I have $52 cost in that, which means I go from having $42 cost in one thing to $26 cost in two things. And so personally, I'm the type that I'm like, okay, all I need to do is buy one. 
and I'm good and I can make money on this thing. I'm not losing anything to do this. However, corporate at the end of the year goes, hey, uh, hey, all this stuff that is over what the buy price is, we're just going to take that out and put it back in at the buy price. All right. The lowest my shrink. <laughs> uh, it, it, well, it, it raises my shrink because they pull out $12,000 yeah. in a yeah. week. And you're like, uh, <laughs> hey, guys, I could have made that back if somebody just sold me one piece. Yeah. Somebody transfer me a piece. I'll make my numbers good. Come on. Let's do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, they want it to look the way they fucking report say they want it. Uh, I know. So uh, w- anything else going on uh, with you? I mean, I've been... I've been... Uh, <laughs> And I've been playing basketball again. You guys know that I play basketball. Uh, and I've been thinking about, uh, like I was telling you guys earlier, I'm thinking about writing a treatment. Uh, like I was saying, uh, 90s-ish, uh, 90s, early 2000s, millennial change, uh, Irish mafia stuff. And one thing you might look at is the guy who did Infernal Affairs just came out with a movie called Revenge of the Green Dragons. Watch that as kind of a um, a... Oh, crap. I gotta go. Yeah. Uh, and there went the microphone. Hopefully we'll keep going right now. All right. Uh, so, so I guess we had an emergency. So wait, pause. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Dave, um, <laughs> what? Uh, so in this treatment, what are you thinking about doing? Like- well, like I was telling you earlier, I, I want to do, I wanted to start, and I'm going to do all fictional settings just because that way... I don't have to ask permission for stuff. I can just write it and do what I want. <clears throat> That's how DC's gotten away with everything forever. <laughs> they just create this fictional place. Yeah. Like, where is Metropolis, by the way? Where is that? Is it like Boston, New York City, uh, Providence, uh, Philadelphia? What's What's funny is uh, Gotham is actually like was an old name for New York City. Yeah. But Metropolis is more New York City than. Yeah, Gotham really, and like is. Gotham is really Chicago, Chicago in a lot of ways. Yeah, which is I think why Christopher Nolan was like, "We're gonna film this in, in Chicago," Chicago yeah. you know. But, uh, but you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to start as just a few guys that have. I mean, they're normal people. They work their standard eight to five jobs, and they just cannot win, and so they just decide. To knock over something. And they get the rush from that. And how they keep building and building and building. And then where their enterprise grows beyond their own means. And they have to bring in outsiders. And anytime you bring bring in outsiders... What does that mean? You know, what is that going to mean for the business? Who can you really trust? Blah, blah, blah. And I I want them to be sloppy. Because I want them to be caught. Yeah. Um, So... You know, there's, there's, and I want to get too much into detail because I don't want to, I don't want to kind of give away my ideas for yeah. free, you know. So, yeah, uh, I was just, just talking. No, no, not, I'm not talking about you. There's other people who listen. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. There are writers. I'm not a writer, and I'm just going to do this, and hopefully it looks okay. And then I'm going to probably bring it to you or Justin and have you read it, and then have you guys go, oh, yeah, this, this, fix this stuff this, right here. Yeah. This big mess that you have. <laughs> Fix this. This level of chaos is <laughs> <Yeah>. too high. <laughs> so, you know, so I kind of plan on doing a little bit of that. And, uh, you know, I don't know there's, uh, I got some new guns. You guys know I'm pretty pro Second Amendment. Yeah. And it's weird because I'm an atheist liberal 
and a lot of people have trouble it's, wrapping it's, their mind around. It's weird because you know yeah. I'm a very nonviolent person. And, See, I am too. But I was raised in a super right wing household, <laughs> and so like I've played with I've played with guns, I fired guns, yeah. I've done all that. I don't own a single gun, you know. Well, you should exercise that Second Amendment, sir. <laughs> well, my biggest thing is like, I mean, my dad has talked about like. Okay, well, when I, when I get these disaster preparedness, you yeah, see, ready, that's that's just out there's there. going to be you know two <laughs> guns in there. So I'm like, oh, great, now I'm going to have guns to deal with in my house. Thanks, thanks, well, Dad. I mean, I've got, I just I just bought uh, an AR-15, which is essentially an M4 assault rifle minus the automatic weapon portion of it. Yeah. So I bought that and I've modded that up. I put a foregrip on it, which means it doesn't hold in my hand. I hold a you know, like, oh, there's okay. a. It's a little bit more tactical, like the Tom, like a Tommy gun yeah, thing. Uh, you sure? Yeah. I mean, well, well, I'll say that just I, so you I, can I, put your yeah metaphorically. Yeah. Not not yeah. actually. Like I know you've seen. But, I know yeah. you've seen. Like, have you seen Zero Dark Thirty? Have not seen Zero. That's really good. Catherine Bigelow's phenomenal, by the way. Yeah. Uh, did you see Hurt Locker? Not seen Hurt Locker. Oh either. man. Real quick, sorry. Um, had to go get kids. They just got home. Um, yeah. We 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 left you a nice pause to edit. Well, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, Revenge of the Green Dragons is... <laughs> just cut so smooth the fuck off. We were talking about something totally yeah, different. Yeah, good, good. Revenge of the Green Dra- Dragons um, is done by the same guy who did Infernal Affairs with Martin Scorsese um, producing it. And, and it does that kind of 90s yeah. um, rise to power sort of thing. Problem with it is, is it's a bunch of, bunch of vignettes rather than being feeling like an actual story. Because okay. it goes from them being kids to them rising up to kind of the downfall within the thing. Tries to pull off an Infernal Affairs slash Departed um, twist that doesn't work. Yeah, I'm not going to do any... I don't, I'm not going to do any... I, literally, it's going to be the rise and fall of like three guys who started out on their own. You know, because you know, like just imagine, you know, like the three of us... We're, we work our standard jobs, but you know, you, none of us really feel like we're ahead of the game, you know? Right. And you can't get ahead. In the you game. know, you yeah. can't get in the game, get ahead in the game working for the man. You got to start your own business, whatever you got to do. And so that's where they're going to start is they're just going to say, fuck it. We need money. We have kids to feed. We have these things to do. We need money. So there's this loan place. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do it. They just, they're so down on their luck that they have to do this. And then when they do it and they do it successfully and flawlessly, no one knows who did it because it's so sporadic and so random. And then they continuously do these things and people start getting ideas, but you can't ever pinch it when you don't leave forensics behind. And that's why I want to do it in the early 90s, 2000s, is because the forensics hasn't really blossomed at that point. You know, it's not like where it is today, where if you kill a guy and you sneeze, you're going to prison, you're getting shot and killed. Yeah. You know, and, you know whatever's going to happen to you, you're going to get death penalty, and that's what's going to happen. Well, and also in the 90s, the corruption yeah. within within forensics departments, just because of their poorly bud, poor budgeted, poor, yeah. poorly ran, people who weren't qualified to run them are running them. <clears throat> And people are going to prison who never committed crimes. Yeah, you know. Like, so, that, and that's what I'm saying. There's, there's a, there's so you have a, a lot to play with. Yeah, there's a know? lot of room that I can, I can run with that. And then, hopefully, I don't really, I, I don't, I'm not trying to sell it. I just want to do it. I just want to say that I've done it. And if it's if people like it, then you know, we're, I'll find we're... movie magic and I'll fucking, <laughs> I'll uh, try to throw a script together. Um, I, I just found a program called Scrivener. 
that's supposed to be used for writing stuff, but it actually has templates for ebooks, um, scripts, movie scripts, <clears throat> one act plays, stuff like that, that you can just pull it up and it builds everything into it. Yeah. I think it's $40 for the whole program. But you know, I, I there's like a subscription service called Celtics. Yeah. That, uh, that is actually Hollywood. It's what Hollywood uses now. Because it's all cloud sharing, and yeah. you can edit every. It's like Google Docs, but it's all within this app. Yeah. So and it has outlines for. And I thought nice. about making them like short stories. So you know, like you know, fifty pages. You know, I don't know how many words that whatever how many what's fifty pages words count. I don't. know. You guys I mean, know. It you're d- fucking right. It, it's the, it'd be fifty. Um, the average is two hundred fifty words per page. So you know, I don't know. Maybe not that many, but you know, just enough to tell the the first short story, and then that's it. And then I, it might just be for fun. Um, and generally, about five thousand words is um, twenty pages. So then, yeah, I mean, just to tell the the the, the 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 opening story, like what's happening, what they're going to do, and you know, maybe I could end it, yeah, uh, you know, cliffhangery, twist ending. You know, cl- well, cliffhangery at the end of the first one, where people are like, "Fuck, what happens? Did they get away with it? Did they not get away you know, with t- it?" To be fair, um, last year there there was a. Uh, panel at one of the writing conferences I went to that talked about um, sorry migraine yeah just so you guys know I do have a migraine right now so if I trail off or I'm not able to speak for some fucking reason it's because my brain is dying we'll try try and pick it up I try telling him he needs a doctor house he really does (laughs) like if there's a doctor house listening to this this guy has migraines to no fucking end I've had five this week one one every single day (laughs) so far I I woke up and couldn't see and was like okay that's a migraine hey guys I'll be up to work as soon as my migraine disappears still hasn't gone away So, um, but they were talking about how serials are going to be the future of eBooks and publishing because you could release. So we've circled all the way back around to er to late 1800s publishing. Well, Tor just opened up a, um, imprint that's all about novellas. And so that's under 50,000 words, which is what Great Gatsby is. So a lot of, there's a lot of novels that are, that are kind of that, that were considered novels at the time, but now they're, but you could do a serial series about it. I mean, yeah, hell you could even do a podcast, you know, you could use the podcast name serial. I think that's already been done, (laughs) but But I'm just saying, you know, I just think, you know, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff that. You know, you could you could go with you know. Well, I mean, what's the worst that happens? You told your own story, and nothing nobody told happens. you what you yeah. fucking do, yeah. and you did it anyways. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is the first guy who wrote a story, there wasn't a template. Yeah. Well, he, he if just, you if you if you go back and you like, I mean, the novel has its roots. Yeah. In like about a thousand BC, but it really doesn't form until yeah. what. 1400s yeah and even then it doesn't even really blossom into a complete form till the 1700s and uh, yeah so so i mean that that's what i've been up to in my absence for the last two months <laughs> so uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of shit going on uh personal drama people don't hear about that but uh, personal bullshit. everybody wants to hear about personal drama that's part of what the audience that's, loves that's our celebrity culture for you yeah everyone wants to know your well if you want to paparazzi me all 12 of you, <laughs> you hey know. i think it's like 100 <laughs> Woo! Yay! all 100 of you i guess you can just kind of camp out of my house and if you come in my house i have lots of guns i'll shoot you Man, this is all like, <laughs> setting up perfectly what we're going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Nathan, what's been going on with you? I've uh, just been working, mostly. So, 
lots of working. The good part is I have been writing a lot more. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, jealous. But I'm most, I've, I've mostly just been writing poetry. I started to work on a play, got kind of sidetracked because I got this exercise that I've been working on. Uh, it's 16 lines. It's using the this format of something where like every time I go somewhere, it's like I can, I have to do this no matter what, you yeah. know, like part of my writing habit, you know, so that way I'm consistently producing something and I've been pretty good at least doing one or two a week. So that way, like when I'm actually writing, so I, I have something to show for every time that I, every, not just like whatever I've been working on, but like, this no matter what I did this I got this done nice. so it's just something to show for every time that I take the time to go write um, I'm you know I'm, I just came across a writer who's using Patreon to help kind of supplement her income and I need to research a few more writers what's Patreon get, um, it's basically a people subscription service well yeah what it is is like I could we could set up a hub and say um, hey if you guys submit you know one dollar if you guys you know, we'll pay us $1 a month. We will send you a personalized thank you note. If you do $5, we'll mention your name during the podcast. Ten, you know, whatever. $10, you get the podcast a day earlier than everybody else. Right. Or, um, one, one, of the, one of the podcasts I listen to, they just broke off. What they do is, if you're a Patreon supporter at one point, at whatever po- price point it is, what they do is, I would have a top, or they, ha- they have four people, each person has a topic, and they... Start releasing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then on Friday release the full thing for the people on Patreon. Um, but they get it a week earlier than everybody mm, okay. else. And um, or sorry, they record it, they put it out a week earlier, and then that next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, they each separate the topics out into their own podcast. And then on the last day of it, they put out the complete thing for everybody. Listening that sounds to. like a lot of. Uh, DLC that we have to deal with in the video game world. You know, but the thing is, is that it's for free if you don't pay them. So you don't have to pay them to get, yeah. to get okay. it. Um, but what she's doing is one, one, but one it's also is a like, a for like fans to support you. Right. You know? um, the guy, um, one guy on YouTube, um, I can't remember his name, Smoothie McGroove or Smooth <laughs> McGroove, whatever. He does um, acapella renditions of stuff like um, Majora's Mask songs, and all, a bunch of retro songs, but he records all the point, parts and sings them acapella. Um, he gets something like a $1,200 for each video that he puts out, and he puts out one a week. Amanda Palmer just, Fuck, opened, man. just yeah. opened hers up this week. Like, just open up. She's... She, for every month that she releases something, she will make $13,000. Now, okay, so what what what's cool about it is that you can say, I can give up to $5 a month. And, you know, they can do stuff like, hey, every time I put out an article, you pay a dollar. But if you say, I can only pay $5 a month, then once, if she releases a sixth article, or I re- whoever releases a sixth article, they don't get paid for that article from that person who can only pay $5 a month. Now, what this writer I saw was doing, she does, once she hits $500, she'll do sh- start doing like short stories weekly or something like that. And then $1,000 and this and this and this. Um, and her tears are like, hey, as soon as you pay me a dollar, you get access to my write- daily writing. And you get to look at it in its raw form, critique it, edit it, talk to me about it, whatever. You get access to this. But if you pay $100 a month, I'll have like a one-hour Google chat with you every, you know, once a month just to talk about whatever you want. So it's kind of a cool idea to play around with, you know, 
not necessarily anything we're up, you know. Yeah, we're can, not there yet. Yeah. You know, that's, that's um, future. But the, the guys who did break off and do their thing, they're getting paid, I think, roughly between between the four of them and starting up a company and everything before taxes, they're getting paid $400,000 a year. Fuck. To do their podcasts and do YouTube videos and stuff like that. But also, I mean, you got to think the level, the amount of content you're putting out. and you got to imagine the middleman is pissed. The people keep doing this and keep well, circumventing the system. They used, they used to work system. at IGN, and uh, all four of them left IGN to start their own company and do this. And Betrayal only makes like, what, 5%? Um, it's five or ten percent. It's something like yeah, that. It's it, minimal. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's kind of like Kickstarter. It's like, Kickstarter, but, it, takes, but it's like paying a freaking agent. Yeah, you know, yeah. agents are fifteen percent. So. Yeah, so it's like it's like having that um, kind of. I did actually just come across two other um, daily or two other self-publishing sort of crowdfunding websites for writing. One's called Ink Shares. Hmm. Um, Gary Witta, the guy who he used to be a video game journalist. He did Book of Eli and After Earth. He's releasing his first novel through there. And what they basically, I think what both of these things do is go, if you get a thousand people who will pre-order your book, we will publish your book. Wow. You know, you don't even have to have, have it written. If, as long as you have an idea for it, if a thousand people say, I will, you know, you throw a treatment up, people say, that's awesome. You write it. We will do that, and then what? I can't remember what you know. One of them, I can't remember which one, said that they, if you on print books, they pay you a fifty percent royalty. That's a for lot it. for print. And if it's an ebook, we pay you seventy percent royalty, which is essentially self-publishing, but yeah. you have a house behind you. So I'm thinking about doing that for a couple of my books, but I'm also planning on just self-publishing one of them. So yeah, yay! Just to kind of get, and also you never know. I mean, I'll buy whatever copy. When it goes on sale, however many that is in line. Cool. Yay. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, so if like, if there, I don't, I can't guarantee I'll be the first person to buy your book. Oh yeah. But I'll buy your book. Cool. Well, I've, I've at least got one sale. Yay. <laughs> that's the first one you need, man. But yeah. th- that's the other thing is like, and that's what's kind of cool right now is that we have this kind of, there's been this big change and the companies are actually starting to look at like. If you start getting a Twitter following or a YouTube following or whatever, yeah, they you start getting a following, that, um, you're you're going to garner more attention from them because you already have a built-in audience that yeah. now they don't have to advertise to. You're advertising for them by saying, oh, I'm in this project. Right. I'm going to be like, there's this German guy who makes electronic music, makes these dumb YouTube videos about American colloquialisms. Like, why do you say poop and... Pocky Poopa, you know he's in, he's in the new Pitch Perfect too. He's a character. He's playing a, a character. Yeah, I mean, right. like, all he did was make well, YouTube I mean, videos about um, like, uh, you know, I speak a different language, and these colloquialisms make no sense to me. You know, and I'm gonna be funny you, about do, it. Are you pooping at the party? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's totally. Um, well, I mean, that's what happened with um, the guy who wrote The Fault in Our Stars. It's Fuck that. I just, man, my wife just watched it. It was fucking depressing. Well, yeah, but that's what all um, of the teens uh, Nicholas, Well, that's yeah, what Nicholas, Nicholas Sparks, Sparks writes, man. But he, <laughs> well, John um, Green's an amazing dude. But he was, he was a YouTuber first. And then he wrote this novel and kind of went, hey, I've got this novel. He, and he wrote, he, that was his fifth novel. Yeah, right. But a he, musician that you can compare this to is Lindsey Sterling. Remember, she, she, was, she went on America's Got Talent and she was a hip-hop violinist. And she did the thing, and then like people were like, dude, this oh, is yeah. never going to fucking work in America. And now then, she's like, <laughs> you can't make a video game without her doing some violin 
live action video film surrounding it based on the songs. I mean, watch the Skyrim videos that she does with the violin. It's nuts. Watch the Zelda ones that she she did all that YouTube, and then now she goes world tours, and it's like right. these people literally. We're like, yeah, your YouTube thing is cool, but how is that really going to last? And then people were like, those people are idiots. I want that. Well, on the Chris, Chris Hardwick talks about this yeah. more. It's like that, like it's all about the niche culture now. Where yeah. it's like now, if you want, if you like something or you want something to exist, you either go ahead and create it, or you find someone that creates something like you want and you support it, and you can directly support it without yeah. being like. Oh, I got to pay fifteen dollars to go to twelve other people that have, that yeah. have nothing to do directly with what you know. I'm actually supporting. like Louis C.K. does that now with his uh, comedy specials. He doesn't go to HBO anymore. He doesn't go to Comedy Central anymore. He just doesn't. He rents the place out himself. He films it himself. He hires all the crew, yeah. and then he puts it on his website. And then it's like it's five dollars. Well, don't steal it. But once you have it, once you pay the five dollars, you can do what you want with it. And it's yours. I I I don't, I don't care. Right. And he said that his his piracy rate plummeted. Like if he was to release a DVD of it or a CD of it, well, well, that many? was fifteen or twenty bucks. People are going to be like, "Fuck that! I'm not paying twenty bucks for that." Well, but also, I mean, it took a year after the HBO special for the freaking DVD to That's come right, out. Man. And you're like, "Really? Really, dude? Really? Like, yeah." But so he just does it himself, and now all kinds of comedians do that. They just say, fuck it, I'm going to well, I mean, put it on my own website. Radiohead is kind of the one who started that, kind of going, hey, we did this thing, support it if you like. Yeah, pay pay what you want. Yep. And there's always going to be the person that's going to pay more than... Well, if, I mean, that, if you have the money um, and you like it, you're going to pay more. That, like that, that's money. what's so great about Humble Bundle. Yeah, you know, I, there, I, there's a bunch of humble bundles, and I'm not sure where they're at now with it. But I know for the longest time, what happened a lot of the time where people were only paying a penny to get all these games, and now they've started putting them behind tiers. Like, okay, you can get all the games, you can pay whatever you want. If you pay more than the average, which is usually about five to seven bucks, I bought the Star Wars humble bundle one. And it was like if you paid eleven dollars, you got nine games, but you got these four games no matter how much you paid. Right, you could pay. Uh, you had to pay at least. It it was had to be more than a penny at this point. Yeah, I think, I think that's it was like if you now. had to pay, you, you had to pay at least a dollar, right? And you got at least four games. Yeah, right. And but that was the problem for a long time. Where people were like, "Fuck this, I'll just pay a penny." And then you know, it was one of those kind of cultural shaming things. Like you only paid a fucking penny for you all this stuff. Sucker. Yeah, because they split. You can split the money. However, that the thing that's also cool about that is that they go to charity, they go mm-hmm. to running the organization, and then they go to the developers. And you can say, I want all this to go to the developers. I want all this to go to charity. I want all this to go to the organization or split it up however you want. I always go half and half, uh, one half to the developer and one half to the charity. But speaking of Louis C.K., I mean, he literally walked into FX and said, just give me $200,000 to make my TV show, make my pilot. You get no say. That's awesome. That's literally yeah, what he you know, did. FX is FX is really good at he, putting original content. But he he made the he made the episode. Yeah, they liked it. They had no interference. They did absolutely. I bet nothing. HBO's pissed. Oh God, I'm sure. I bet they're, it, because they canceled him after two seasons. Oh yeah, and he's on season four. He took a year year break because he wanted to focus on stand up comedy and put out his next special. And then what did FX do? Sure. Because yeah. what you put is gold. Because you're, and now like IFC is kind of following yeah. that model of like with Comedy Bang Bang and Marin and 
Jim Jeffries and all. all I the, think more and more the big studios are gonna say, "Fuck it, we're just going to give you the, the like well, the, uh, Kurt the, Sitter and Sons of Anarchy." They're, they're just gonna go smaller budget. That's yeah. what they're doing. Is they're is they're going okay? Here's the amount of money we can give you for no studio interference. Mm-hmm. If you want this amount of money, we have to have all this. Yeah, and then the next jump is fucking tentpole blockbusters. Like, there's nothing in between the $20 million movie to the $120 million movie well, you know, anymore. Like, if, like if you... Gone Girl, that's what's funny, is Gone Girl, it's only $60 million, but that's a rarity these days. A $60 million, $40 million film Well, if you think, I mean, but there now. wasn't a whole lot to make out of $60 million. But, there, there wasn't... I, but I think then compared to, like, the number of $280 million budgets... What is they, Avengers 2 budgeted at? Think, it's $300 million, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, three hundred million. It's. I know you're going to gross a billion, but <laughs> God damn, three hundred million dollars to make this. Yeah, but how much of that is spent on marketing, and that's where they get fucked. Well, prob- probably five hundred million dollars of it is spent on marketing. Five hundred million dollars was spent paying the actors. Then the other, you know, two hundred million is on sets, people, special effects, yeah. paying people, doing all this stuff. But it's like you got to think like. Half of that hundred million dollars is just well, what, guaranteed contracts. Did Robert guaran- Downey Jr. say that he wasn't going to do it if these guys didn't get a raise? Well, like, as he was paid actually, twenty million for Avengers One, from from what I heard, he basically got the Nicholson deal. He gets everything on the back end. Well, that's that's the smart way to yeah. do things because he saw. But yeah, what from Avengers from what, from what and, yeah from what we've heard is that he he said he, he wasn't going to do it if these guys didn't get yeah. more money. Yeah, and got them more money, but who knows what the next block of people if they're going to get anything for it. Um, but then they got those people guaranteed to. 2019. They yeah, guaranteed right. those people to 2019. They said, "Okay, we'll pay you that, but you got to stay here until this date." You know. And Speaking that's crazy. of that, what do you think? 2019. What do you guys think about Marvel and Sony's relationship with Spider-Man now? I have had. I want to say that I have strong feelings, but I have no strong feelings because for me, Spider-Man has been such a tainted brand to me in a lot of ways since Spider-Man Three. Yeah, that it's just kind of like. Well, I remember when we went to go see Spider Man three. Let's. Uh, I, I I I'm not saying that. I might. He looks not dead. Over get there, excited. Then he looks like he's dying. I'm just. I'm just. They've. If they're not. If they're not going to do Miles Morales at this point, we we don't we don't know what well, they're doing. The, the rumor is is that they are going to do Miles Morales, and that's the black Spider Man, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, African American Latino. You know, he's both. Forgive me. Well, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> kid from the Bronx. Well, to to be fair, what what I would want out of it is I would want uh, teacher Spider Man. Teacher Spider Man. Yeah, Peter Parker, like college professor. No, no, high school teacher. high school teacher Spider Man. Yeah, because he around yeah, yeah. issue four hundred he went back to his high school, Wasn't which was the, then gang ridden. The live action TV show High School Teacher Spider Man as well. Mm, no, he it was more. He's a twenty-something photographer. Okay. Yeah, the seven. So, you're talking about the seventies. Yeah. Yeah, it's more the twenty-something photographer guy. But okay. um, it was. I I, I, would, <laughs> I would I would like for him to be a teacher because that gives him more growth than being in high school again. What I've oh, heard. Oh, but here's the I thing. I so he, don't want to see another fucking origin story. Well, they said from what I've heard. Unless um, it's Miles Morales. Well, no, no. Here's the thing: is from what I've heard, it's going to be um, Drew Goddard, 
Who did Cabin in the Woods? Yeah, okay. Oh, he was already signed to do like the Sinister Six, right? But now he's going to be doing the main one. Oh, Um, and it's going. What does that mean for Sinister Six? By the way, well, no, he no 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 no. He said that Sinister Six will be a part of the new movie. Oh, okay. Um, And then basically, what it is, it's going to be him in high school. They want him to be young so that they could do like Harry Potter and do multiple trilogies with him. Well, I, um, I see the purpose because I, I but, heard But her. not an origin story. That Spider-Man is established um, and the, this is currently the rumor. Who knows if there's anything to go off it, but the idea is that the first Spider-Man movie would be him versus Tony Stark and him kind of trying out for Avengers okay. while dealing with the Sinister Six and then spins off from there. Yeah, because like, it's kind of what I like. It's one of the few things I like about what they're doing with Batman v Superman is Batman is established. They're not yeah. origining Batman. He's already uh, well, Batman. Well, that's not, that's, not, that's not there. Um, actually has been set photos um, of them at a um, well, Mark of Zorro. A flashback, but I'm, I know, but I, I hope it's not anything more than that. I mean, um, glad, the, the other rumor Zorro. is that... From what Zack Snyder said, he said that Batman has already been doing this. Yeah. And he's wondering well, he's what old, the fuck is going on here because this is a catastrophe what happened in Metropolis. From, from what I've read... Is most of it is going to be the the last act of Dark Knight Returns? Yeah, but without but with all the other characters coming up, right? And I've also heard that the straight up the Wonder Wonder Woman movie is taking place in the nineteen forties. Nice, no ifs ands or buts. It's taking place in the nineteen forties, and then the next one will be like the nineteen seventies, and then the next one will unfortunately be modern, it doesn't so look like um that's what the plan um what what jared leto yeah, jared I mean, leto yeah his he's cut his hair short for the traditional you know looks like joker cut not the cut i was hoping for which would you have can't been the, get the heath cut anymore no i don't want the heath cut what i want is um a chris pine from smoking aces okay with the shave, you know, the undercut with really long hair, okay. kind of in a, you know, kind of not a mohawk, but slicked back green hair and just being super skeezy. Like, that's the Joker I want. They're probably going to do Arkham City Joker. Yeah, um, I think I think that's, or I would actually, I would rather them do Arkham, Arkham Origins Joker. Yeah, okay. And the full, you yeah. know, full suit. It looks like that's the haircut he has. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just hoping that uh, they don't destroy it. Well, my whole thing is like, okay, I like the way that uh, Aquaman looks. I love it. I got, when I saw that, I was like, dude, but Jason Aquaman Momoa looks is blonde. Amazing. No, that it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, Care, caring about things like that <laughs> is like w- the fact that they cast Michael B. Jordan as as Johnny Storm. I don't care. I don't care who plays him. I just care that the character. Like personality, yeah. and and everything is is correct to that, and that they honor what has happened. Not necessarily, I've I've gotten to the point with adaptations where I know it's never going to be like that. And also, if I want that, I have that. I can go pick up the fucking comic book and right, I can okay, read that so shit on that same on that same token. Okay, I mean, now he looks like a Pacific Islander. Oh, okay, because that's what Jason Momoa, Momoa looks is. like. Yes, yeah. you know he sure. is. So therefore, it makes sense to make him look like like a culture that would have become Polynesian and then become the Hawaiian culture. It makes sense. Okay, now let me ask you this: they're they're Atlanta. They're Americanizing Ghost in the Shell. God damn it! 
right. And they're having an American woman play a Japanese character. Oh, I, I, I will not. I will boycott that. Oh, so, so but that's the line. Then. But no, no, no. That is a <laughs> Japanese culture creation. He's still American. <laughs> Jason Momoa is still an American I actor. Know. I see. I you think know, I, because he's blonde. Really, personally, it really depends with Ghost in the Shell. You know, I haven't heard anything more about it. All I know, you know, all I've seen is like the fan project to recreate the opening that they've been working on for years. But that that doesn't bother me. You know, I would see an American Akira probably. It I really would. depends on what it would look I, like. I wouldn't because I've seen Chronicle. But <laughs> you know the the guy who did that he's making the second one right like I no, guess no, no, he's no. working he's making Fantastic Four he's not making Fantastic Four's made he's making the script now for the second Chronicle film wow I have not heard anything about yeah him you just making... Google that shit oh I follow the rumors pretty heavily and I haven't heard anything yeah he about said Josh that uh, he said back in 2013 that he was writing the writing the stuff right yeah. then for it and he's been leading. Pre- production no, stuff I, on Fantastic I, I, I know okay, that. So has <laughs> anything else happened with you recently, Nathan? Uh, not a whole lot. Okay. For myself, real quick. Um, That's it. I have fine... <laughs> I'll stab you in the throat. <laughs> um, I am currently um, looking to get my um, novel, The Faithful, self-published. I've hired an editor. She actually will be taking the book on Monday. Yay. And then be done with it in two weeks and is actually going to go through it like right up um, chapter by chapter what's happening, what's working, what's not working, putting rising and falling action, putting it in charts, all the, you know, all the stuff I'm not really sure I need, but it was only like $50 more than actually just having the manuscript edited normally. How much oh. does that cost? Like This is going to cost $610. Oh, yeah. um, and then to get a cover, if I don't, you know, go with my own, which I've kind of been toying with, would be another three hundred dollars. So I'm looking at at least a thousand there. It's really not that bad for considering what it costs in the publishing industry to get the same. Thing. Right. Well, I was looking at another guy, and to get a full cover, front, back, book, and everything would be um, six hundred dollars for that one guy. But I found another person who seems to do roughly the same work for three hundred. So that's why I was really, you know, I'm looking at him. But with all of that, if everything goes as planned and I don't need to do another major overhaul of this fucking book, then I should have it out um, this summer. Yeah. Are you, uh, you going to use that to shop for an agent? Or are you um, just already shopping for an agent with I have I've already received over 100 rejections for this novel from agents. I've got it out with a few agents. There's two agents that I'd kind of like to send to once I get, you know, there's one that requires the first hundred pages. And then there's another one that was super excited about it last year, requested a full just based off my pitch and then read and went, I was really hoping this would hit out the park, but I'm left kind of wondering, so what? Like, you know, and I asked her how far she got and she said the first 40 pages, which is what I've mostly cut out of the book. And redistribute it. I feel like at this point, well, you I, have read a completely different book. Than what yeah, yeah, I've cut yeah. six thousand words from the beginning of it, and then added eighteen thousand more words on top of what I had before. Um, so you've netted twelve thousand words, something like that. Yeah. yeah, I think it might have actually been twenty thousand words. Um, yeah, so fourteen thousand, I think. But um, I do want to. I almost want to write to her and say, "Hey." I, you were really excited about this last year. This isn't the same book. At this all, is this man. is all the stuff I've done to it. 
would you be willing to take a look at it? Because this agent only does stuff through referrals or through people she's requested through conferences. So she might be more interested at that she just point. Send it. No. Just fucking balls yeah, you, up and you, send it. They won't read it. Yeah, the, yeah, they'll just throw yeah. it away. These but, are cunts. Well, no, it's just. It's because, like, one guy um, who I've been following on Twitter forever, he just opened up for queries. I sent him a query after three days. He had already had over 500 queries saying, hey, will you look at my book? You got to remember that, like, the number of shitty queries that they have to go through, not because the writer is shitty, but just because the book sucks. Because or, it's, your, it's a lot of first or, novels. Or it's people or, who don't read the guidelines and don't and will send him women's fiction whenever he says, I don't want women's fiction, I want fantasy. Or people who will send them, their thing. Their profile will say fantasy, but if you read their stuff, it says, well, I'm more into dark fantasy, I don't like high fantasy or epic fantasy, I want this specific subgenre of fantasy, and you'll have 40 people to, for every one that sends him the correct. He should do a Brian Griffin. You remember when he's like, I could, I, could, I could write that. I could write that in my sleep. So, uh, how's your novel going? Yeah. <laughs> Get a little bit of... <laughs> but um, my, my thing is, is those are really the only two agents I'm really kind of holding out any hope for. And even at that point, after spending $1,000 to get it professionally edited... Um, I didn't even realize this. I doing my taxes. Katie and I put put more than two thousand dollars into our hobby last year. So I've officially started claiming it as a business because I don't, I don't even want to know how much money I probably put into my right. hobbies. And that that doesn't even include pens, paper, anything <laughs> yeah. like that. So um, we're Ink for f- printers, printer paper, right? All- yeah, so we're starting to claim it as a business because this year I'm going to self-publish. Katie has been selling stuff to selling short and flash fiction. And really just at this point, I just want to go, okay, I'm going to put it out. At this point, I've put too much of my own money into it just to hand it off to an agent and say, fuck you. Yeah. There yeah. you go. And well, the, 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 the agent is just, it's an access point. That's all it yeah. is. You know. I mean, the, the, yeah, because at that point, even if an agent picked me up, she would ha- then have to start shopping it around. And to then, a publisher, and then a publisher has to say, yeah, okay, it's good. Yeah, um, actually, change this. Change this. Here, here's the thing <laughs> I found funny, is that Gary Witta, I mentioned him earlier, he was talking about how he actually got his screenplay, um, Book of Eli, made. What literally happened is that what normally happens is that there's two piles. One is to go to the readers and the readers will go through it. They'll write up a report. They'll pass it up and it'll go through several channels before getting to the head honcho. Some reason somebody took his script and put it on the head honchos accidentally. And so the head honcho got it and read it and then called him up and said, Hey, I don't know why your script's here. Um, it doesn't have any of the normal paperwork that would be associated with it, but I read the full thing. I want to put, bring you on as a client. That's awesome. If it had gone through all those people, it probably it, wouldn't have. Any one of those people would have said, "No, nah, this isn't his taste," and put it to the side. See, that's what I'm saying. Why, why is there? Why are? Why are all these fucking cunts in the way, man? Well, but the problem is, is okay. I know. I his think taste. what it is is just no, no, no. But it's also just sheer volume. Yeah, man, you know it. because I hate, and this is just. It's a cliche out the wazoo, but everybody in Hollywood has a script. And sure, a buddy of yeah. mine who lived in Hollywood, he said, that's what you did. That was your. That was like what everybody in freaking town did. <laughs> like all the poets, all the musicians, everybody also wrote scripts because you never know if you could get a job at working for a studio or get a, you know, get in the door working for a producer or something. Just start out in gay porn. No. That's your no. end. 
No, no, that's. Oh, you, I that, mean, you'll that's what you get fail out. Of, I think that's what you fail <laughs> out of. Oh, okay. um, that's what it is. Well, the, gay for pay. <laughs> the, the thing about it is, and family guy again. Part, part of the reason why I want to you go self-publishing it, is because if I sell a two ninety nine book, you get seventy. You get seventy percent of that book, right? Yeah. In, anything between two ninety nine and nine ninety nine, I get seventy percent of that. Are you gonna? Are you gonna have like? I'll have ebook and I'll have print. Okay, I want. The print version, of course, but I'll oh. buy the ebook version so that I can read. Well, it. and also, I mean, there was that article the other day that was talking about the trend in ebooks is kind of, and now it's kind of swinging back. To well, where, uh, to be, you know, uh, one of my friends posted that, and I read it, and my comment nobody seemed to understand, which was, when you buy an e-reader, aren't you kind of out of the market for an e-reader at that point? Yeah. Well, I. Yeah, you're you're not out the market for ebooks. Personally, I buy the hard cov- hard copies of them, and then if I really like them, I will buy them on ebooks so that I can keep them with me at any or, point and, and research and it. Also, sometimes I might like check a book out from the library, read it, and then I go, "Well, I've already read it. I can just buy it if I want to reference it. I can just buy the electronic copy, right? And I'm not cluttering up my library." See, I I I've gone almost a hundred percent exclusive ebooks because. For instance, when my wife is at sleeping and I can't sleep, guess what I do? And I don't want to have the TV on. I just poop, open up my uh, Samsung Tab 4 that's not <laughs> endorsed. And yeah. uh, I just read it not on Not endorsed. <laughs> but he read it like a commercial. <laughs> and that's great. Unfortunately, my Kindle is the e-ink, like second generation. Yes. So I have to have a light on it. But it looks great. Like the thing I love about it is that anytime. It looks like I, paper. Yeah. Anytime, well, anytime I pull it up, I look at it. I'm like, oh, that's a sticker. I need to peel that off. Oh, that's the screen. I'm going to oh, show that's you. That's awesome. My... Like you can look at it at any angle and it looks yeah. the same. Um, but the thing about that article that was saying, oh, yeah, the ebook trend has slumped off, was they weren't selling as many e readers. It, was, it wasn't. And then the book sales were up 5%. Which is nothing. That is that that to me. Yeah, but also from a from a market that was literally said to be dead. As right. In, well, I all mean, it was going to do was fall ninety yeah, percent. They were talking ninety percent fall offs. But a five for me, anything five within five percent positive or negative to me is a flat growth. Like it doesn't. Not statistically, it's not a flat growth. It is for my business. Well, it, you're not. Doing what you should be doing if you're within five percent, um, because I've right like right now my cards and books at my store, which books doesn't mean books; it means posters and um, manga stuff like that. Comics and books are separate things, but my books were up like 160 percent this past month. People were buying a shitload of posters. Um, so that's the that's the color I look at when I read it. It's not bright. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's the kind of. Eggshell. You sense, you know, yeah. it's that color, so it's not like when I'm at, up at night. I'm not like fuck, man. Yeah. You I, on my fire, I use the I use the black, black with white. Type oh yeah, because it's just I can read. But like half of if I'm if I can't sleep, I'm usually reading it on my phone yeah. instead of you know, on my fire. But um, be, so this is a whole episode by yeah, itself. I know, I know. So it's I'm like trying, click, uh, part part one. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, that's kind of what I'm working on right now. I've been working on a book. I've been toying around. I just got a bunch of Kindle Gen stuff. Actually, um, just real quick, three minute thing. I found the most awesome feature for Kindle: X-ray. Have you, oh, either yeah, of you guys yeah. messed with this I, at all? I've messed with it a little bit. But it came out three years ago. 
you're missing out. What's awesome about it is that depending on the book, not all books have it for some fucking reason, even big publisher books. But like I pulled up American Gods. They have an x-ray feature and it will specifically point out every single time a person appears in the book and show you what percentage of the book they are in it. So See, this one doesn't have it because, no. if you, because it's all it's all just facts. And if you have a, characters. but it also has terms in there so that you're like, oh, I'm not familiar with that term. Oh, hey, this term appears on these different pages. Did you pull up one that had it? Yeah, yeah I pulled up this kinda, yeah, hung, no, see, the I, Hunger Games. Yeah, game I see what you're talking about now. But yeah, it's really cool because I was talking to a friend. Yeah, it has like a little bar graph. Yeah, right, and it will tell you on that page how much of each page is taken up by what what characters appear on this page, and then you can click on them, and it will jump you to different parts of the book. Um, it was great for American Gods because I was able to go and talk to my friend about the one scene I have a problem with in American Gods. Because you could pull it up. And I clicked on it and then read him the page and went, see what's fucking wrong with it? He's like, yeah, I totally understand. Two pages later, they described the person, but for those first two pages, yeah, it's just a white blob. Well, but also uh, the way the notes feature works is like you'll have the ones that it'll save ones that are commonly underlined or whatever but then you can just color your own and so you can go back to just yours and not uh, and not like everyone's you can go to like just your single highlights like okay so if you need a quote for a book that you really liked and or you want to just scroll through what the like passages you really sure. liked you can do then so sure that's oh. cool that's legit okay so let's take a break and we'll be back with uh, our consuming And we're back. So now we're actually at the consummation. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. how, how, how yeah. you doing, Dave? How you what, doing? What, what you been watching? What you so been doing? So I've got you just, know, my, my, just three things. Just from my the last three two. things huh. from the last two months. Uh, I've rewatched uh, The Sopranos entirely. Okay. Because it is the greatest piece of American television ever produced, ever. Good. How do, how do uh, you when like? I finally, watch it. It'll yes. be awesome. How yes. do you like Tony Soprano surviving at the end? You know, because David Chase actually came out and said that that's what happened. Well, then he kind of went, well, yeah. <laughs> that's not what I was saying. He said saying. the indictments were going to happen, but you, the, if, for anyone who knows the legal system, they can literally indict a paper towel. That's One judge has characterized that that's how that happens. Like, you can pretty much get in a, ju- a grand jury to indict anything. So we don't know if... Unless you're a police officer. Yeah, and in you Ferguson, Missouri. Yeah. Uh, so, but basically... David Chase had said, "Yeah, this stuff happens, but you don't know who that Guinea-looking guy. Yeah, I, whatever. You don't know who that Guinea-looking guy was who uh, who came. Da- Dave and your racial. That's place. right, man. Uh, you you watched way too much Sopranos. Apparently, <laughs> they don't call them Guineas in the Sopranos. <laughs> I do have to say, there's a lot of um, my favorite moment. I'm trying to remember ex- what exactly was happening around it, but it might, just my favorite moment is when the the officers who keep kind of showing up at the um, whenever they're sitting outside at and he's whatever just flipping them off when they're driving by. Well, no, no, they like I think it's like after t- 
somebody gets arrested or somebody gets killed, the guys just kind of show up and he's introducing his new partner to Tony. Oh, that's in uh, the beginning of season six because he's moved from. I don't. I, I actually think it was earlier on. I don't. It's think Agent it was. Harris. He moved from FBI uh, organized crime to terror. But no, I think I think Big Pussy was still around at the at the episode I'm talking about. They're all just staying outside. It's at the very end of the episode, and they come up and just start talking to him. And oh, Tony's, okay, now I know and what Tony, about. Tony's yeah. like, yeah, and then like, there's a car wrecked across the street, and everybody's just kind of looking. That at was it. the Columbus Day Parade thing. Okay, that was the Columbus I, Day. I thing. just love that that. Even though they were just like tapping his house and all yeah. this stuff was happening, they still come up and they're all just like, "Oh yeah, hey, how's it going? Up, How, how, how's the family?" And they're just talking, "Oh man, can you believe that fucking shit that's going yeah. on across the street?" And it was just really was like, "Wow!" Like they know all these guys have guns and are doing illegal ass shit right in front of them, but all they can do is stand there and say, "Hey, you know, how's they, it going?" Because they're building a RICO case, right, right? It's like the greatest weapon that the federal government has ever had to bring down organized crime. It's also considered one of the most unconstitutional, if you read about it. But it's also... Was, the, was that originally developed for, like, uh, like banking, or for, no, prohibition? Was RICO... No, RICO, the RICO Act didn't come until the early 70s. But I mean, like, because of, like, prohibition? Yeah, and, because, it, you know, the whole, the whole thing is if you can charge one person in the criminal organization, you can charge the whole criminal organization. Because everyone's an accessory. Everyone's after an the accessory fact. after the fact. Exactly. So that's why it's considered really unconstitutional. Because yeah. it's like, man, you didn't really catch this one guy doing anything. But, but if, you know, yeah. Fox, I still love that I moment. Guess you're, yeah. I, I love that moment in Dark Knight. Yeah. You know, the the big guys will get out, but the yeah. small guys can't. They can't afford it. Yeah. They can't be off the street for two or three days. You know, like that was a great like use of that. Yeah. Of that concept. So, but. Basically, they're they're building this. The whole series is built around three main principles. Tony is, uh, uh, in my opinion, it's never really said it. He's said he's de- clinically depressed, but he's really a manic depressive. So whenever shit hits the fan, so for bipolar him, two, bipolar two. I don't, I don't really see Tony as bipolar. Well, but that's what manic depressive is categorized now as bipolar two. But it's because he. When he goes into his manic states is only when he's at his lowest of lows. He's, I think he's probably bipolar, but not in the same sense that you would say... It might not be like a biological cycle, but yeah. it's because of... Yeah. Situationally, he becomes he, he, extremely... His, 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 this guy goes from, hey, Carm, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. What's your fucking problem? Fuck you, and he just starts throwing shit, and you're just like... What the fuck just happened? Be- but that's because Carmella knew how to push his buttons. But the reason why I say the acting in it is bar none the best that's ever been put on TV is because there's a scene, and it's Edie Falco's scene, where Tony just went into the hospital getting shot by Uncle right. Junior. You'll If you watch it... I'll, I'll get all this stuff yeah. later. He, he'll probably... There, there's honestly, probably, he'll probably forget all the names to yeah, begin with. Yeah. So He... But... She was just in there. They had just seen him. And then all of a sudden he wakes up. And he's like, where am I going? And then beep, 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 and a code blue crash. And they've got to like. And then Syl is holding on. No, Christopher's holding on to her, holding her. And she's literally what you could. If you could put a picture, if you could film someone's reaction, watching their loved one of loved ones. 
dying right in front of them. She did that. And it is, I'm, she, you know, she's, she's hyperventilating and she just can't handle it. And another really good scene is where they have that big fight where she wants to divorce because that Russian bitch calls. Right. I fucked your husband, you know, and you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, I know her. And no, I, just, uh, I just like, I just like the characterization. Yeah. The Russian bitch just, here's my tip. <laughs> she was a now. Russian bitch. I know, no. But it was, it was literally the, it oh. was the continuation into oh. the bad accent. Like I you didn't your just husband. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like. <laughs> My Russian accent is terrible, but I will do it anyways. Well, so she, so she calls, and then that scene where that that whole fight where she's, you know, got like palpitations and she's crying, and it looks like it, it is real. It looks like you've got a window into real life of what these people are going through, and how their children react, and it it, it just how these. This ensemble cast of actors, because let's face it, it was a huge cast of actors. Right, right. It was just nuts when Melfi was raped in the stairwell. Mm-hmm. And then how... Well, and how... That, that was one of those things is that through the entirety of the series, I kept waiting for that to come back. Yeah, it never it, did. It never did. And it's, you know, it's because she makes a decision in there that if I say the word, he will take care yep, of this. He will... I can't live with that morally yeah and that's i kind of thought that her end of tony soprano her cut off of tony soprano was really weak she reads this one article and then i guess it's seven years on top of this one article where she's like god that's what he's been doing the whole fucking time you know it's kind of like yeah it's just one of those things you know that you know nathan and i talked about this with chronicle last week or last podcast about how in Chronicle, there's a moment where he's at a party, gets too drunk, throws up on a girl who's going down on him, and his buddy is laughing at the situation, not at him, but that's the thing that turns him evil. Yeah. Which, yeah. which made no sense, especially with the characterization of, like... Like, his dad beat the shit out yeah, of him. Like, which, wouldn't that which make is, you evil? Well, but also, like, would you go evil for the person you want to save? Yeah. Like, his mom. That's what matters. That's right. what matters to him. As a person, more than anything else. So, and that's why, why he goes stealing the money. And yeah, but it's like it's yeah. all built out of this one. It's like yeah, it was like yeah. and, and the director the basically stuff. said, "Hey, whenever you're going, we for don't have the- four hours to make a movie." Well, no, no. <laughs> what, what he said was, whenever you know you're you're trying to get that final theatrical cut, you make some large decisions that you nece- wouldn't necessarily do if you had more time. Yeah, or if you had the final cut of not being a first time director, right? And so, <laughs> and so the Blu-ray version is supposed to be his cut of it, which yeah. I'm hoping fixes that problem I have with it because everything else I really liked about that and that's kind of what happened with, with, a, with Melfi and Tony Soprano yeah it's just like okay we have to end this uh, relationship we've got like three episodes three episodes to do it in uh, yeah that's it <laughs> and they they literally just and that's it that's it he walks out and he's looking at her like wait a minute you telling me after seven years you know what he does this this is how he points at you by the way for those it's the it's the I want to rock with your thumb out no, you know it's the I love you Oh, okay. I love you. Hands of sign language, right? Yeah. But he, and he, and he always wiggles that pinky down there, <laughs> and he's got a ring on it, and it's gold. He wears a gold man. It's really stereotyped, but it's great because that's how these guys look. That's how these mafioso guys look. Who is your favorite character out of Sopranos? Not Tony Soprano, or in, oh. I'm gonna out of Tony's blood family. Oh, you, not Tony's blood family. 
I don't know, because I really hated a wingtips guy. You didn't like Polly? Oh, I, I hated, love Polly oh, Gaultieri, Paul, man. No, Polly's the worst. Cause he's he, so stereotyped. <laughs> well, no, the reason he's the worst is because he literally just sits there and it's like, hey, man, I'm going to help you out. Man, fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah, that's, but that's how these guys really are. I, I know. And here's how you know that's true. The kid, that guy's name is Tony Siroso. Siroso. He was a gangster. Right. And then got out of it because somebody convinced him that he should try out for this part. And then ever since then, he's just been doing part after part after part in gangster stuff. And then he hit big with The Sopranos. But that's how they really are. My favorite character is Johnny Sack. Because he's so calm and so level. When he answers the phone, speak. And you're just like, (laughs) wow, this guy's an asshole, man. He's so powerful. He could just say... Speak, and you know, like when when Ralph makes fun of uh, Jenny Sack's ass, you know, they pulled a ninety pound mole off her ass, which is Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. they call him Joey Pants for short. Yeah, but Cipher from more Matrix from Matrix. For- yeah, and he he says that, and then that is the turning point for Johnny Sack, where he goes straight asshole, and he, he he's like, I shouldn't have to fucking ask for this. If this was the old days, I'd blow his fucking brains out. And you just, you know, you're just like, whoa. But you never see one time in the entire fucking series. You see Tony do dirty work. You see Junior do dirty work. You see Maltesanti do dirty You see every one of them do dirty work. Except for uh, Carmine Lupertazzi, uh, Senior, Junior, and Johnny Sack. Three guys out of the whole thing you never see get dirty. Three guys. Right. Because Johnny Sack just was super calm and super smart and knew how to do it. And then all of a sudden, Tony's sitting there talking with him on the back porch. Right when Johnny Sack gets made boss and he sees the FBI guys and Tony goes running. (laughs) He goes fucking running and he ditched that gun. That was two seasons later that came back to bite him in the ass. Yeah. So They do a really good job (laughs) of tying... These really large which, arcing storylines, which, back which is kind of why I was I kept waiting for the rape to come back yeah. into play, and it just never did. And you know that might be a disappointment. I don't know. The only thing that really I realized, like, it might have been one of those things that like we can do this or we can do this, and then we're like, this one's the better idea for this. Yeah, yeah. It was probably nothing, just a writer room decision. Yeah, no, nothing ever grew out of even past that. That was the most intense that. And what's crazy is Gandolfini is so anti-Tony Soprano, or, or was, excuse me, because he's dead, but he was so not Tony Soprano, like Tony Soprano was a complete 180 of what his actual character and demeanor is. Gandolfini is a, or was a Buddhist, he was, you know, like, or he practiced Buddhism, but he, I don't think he was, you know, like a legitimate Buddhist. I think he was actually a Catholic, but I think it would be difficult yeah, to be how, an actor and be a full on. Like, yeah, you you have to Richard Gear it and just like yeah. never be the villain. Yeah. Always, never but, have a gun. Never. Yeah. You know, just he like, was so not Tony Soprano that that role really took a lot out of him. Like to play that character because if you watch the first season, he's really thin. Then you watch the second season, it's like goddamn, this dude gained forty pounds at least. At least forty pounds, and as every season goes on, he gets more heavy, more bald, more tired looking, more stressed. It just you could really see the toll taking on on all of them, really. The only one who never looked like he changed was fucking wingtips, man. Polly, man. He never looked like he aged a day, man. 
He never fucking aged yeah. a day. Some fucking some people poly. just yeah. Some but you love to hate him though. He's oh, so no, awesome. Oh no no no! I I I just despised him. I I didn't even love <laughs> I to loved hate him. him, man. But you don't come around here no more, T. He would. He's twenty years older than Tony Soprano, but he like Tony's his dad, you know, or or like like that's the kind of dynamic they have. It's but Tony, that's Uncle Polly to Tony, right? But when Tony or when Polly talks to Tony, it's but you don't ever come around no more, Tony. And he like looks down on him, you know, like a kid would. And it's like, what the fuck is this dynamic? This weird fucking dynamic. It was great, man. So I rewatched that. It was awesome. Awesome. Okay, what else have you done? Anything else? Been watching House of Cards and uh, reading. Uh, I'm not going to go into House of Cards because other people might still be watching it. Um, it's really good. He's president. Uh, there's some really strong. Uh, Pussy Riot was in this season. That's hilarious. Uh, you can look it up because they, like Pe- President Petrov, looks exactly like Vladimir Putin. Like I mean, like you put a fucking. He's a skinnier version of Vladimir Putin, and he's like. He's the same guy. He's, you know, anti-gay, you know, anti-free speech, you know, really control, blah, blah, blah. And so at a White House dinner, they fucking, they, you know, they, to, you know, President Underwood toasts everybody and whatever he says in a toast. Then President Petrov doesn't toast the president. He toasts Pussy Riot, which is a different band name. But it's the actual cast me- it's the actual band members of Pussy Riot. Wow. And he toasts them and he tells them, you know, for what you've done and how strong you are. And they go off and they they get fucking pissed off and then you know, he, you know, everyone's like, calm down, and they're like and they pour the drink out on the table and smash the glass on the thing and then walk out. Man, it was nuts, man. And then they have this huge uh protest out front of the of the White House and it's it's crazy, man. And but like the fact that that show brought in real situation, the real situation that is Pussy Riot and you know Vladimir Putin, it's a big deal. And they had the end song was a music video for Pussy Riot. Wow. The That's end funny. credits was that. It was so it was really good. And then I've been reading uh, Kip Thorne's The Science of Interstellar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so what, what do you think of the fact the way that he breaks down everything into like. Uh, Truth, truth, speculation, relation. or stretch. Yeah, like, like you can scientifically justify it this way, but there's no proof for it. Yeah. You know, I I'm only on like I'm on the ebook, so I'm like twenty percent through it. So I'm just now onto the whole uh, gargantuan, like the the design of how they created gargantuan, how yeah. it looks like if you were really looking at it. And what's cool. Is like I'm the first. This is the first thing ever. Th- this movie was what it would look like if you were really looking at a black hole. This is what it would look like yeah. if you could get this. Which, close. which is why I, I go, hats off. Thank you, hats sir. off. Thank you, sir. hats off, Christopher yeah. Nolan for finishing the project. Steven Spielberg wouldn't for whatever reason. And I read that. I, yeah. I read how that went on. Well, also the cool thing of Jonathan Nolan, like he'd written five drafts of the script. <laughs> Before Steven Spielberg even came, left, even came onto it because people were like, eh. but Kip Thorne was like, he's got these three principles: it has to be scientifically valid, it can't be made up bullshit, it, it has can't to be just made up yeah, bullshit. It can't. It has to stand on its own. There has to be a reason why it is this way. Like the 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 idea that that black hole is spinning at ninety nine percent the speed of light. That's how Tars is able to go around, and you're. 
it, you're yeah. able to see it from below. Anyway, so I've been reading it. It's really good. I'd recommend anybody, if you want to just know more about physics and science, this guy really breaks it down in a way well, you can... That's, I mean, that's yeah. most of his academic life is is physics. Yeah, I mean, he's been, what, like a... He's been a PhD since, like, the 74, since that's when he got into the field. Most, And then it wasn't until yeah. the 90s that he even got involved in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, and it was an accident. The, 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 his, I guess that chick he was on dates with was just like, hey, how do you think this would work? He's like, I don't know. Let me, let me write it out and let me, yeah. let me, <laughs> let think, me about think about it, it, you know? And then they come back, you know, like months later and he's like, this is what I got, you know? And then yeah. it literally was a table conversation, just, hey, uh, what about this? <laughs> uh, and, you know, and then they were really worried because Jonathan Nolan, they call him Jonah, which is weird. Well, that's, that's, I know, but that's, that's the way he goes by in real life. Yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty sure Christopher Nolan just goes by Chris. Chris, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he had to, you know, the Writers Guild strike happened, and then that was shelved for, and they were like, fuck, this isn't going to get made now. And it literally took them from, what, 96 to 2014 yeah. to finally see this thing through. So almost 18, 20, yeah, yeah 18, 18 years. years to make this movie. But If it, only it was a better movie. <laughs> but And this was something, I, I tried to tell Justin about this, but when I was I was reading that, and I read a little bit more of what Christopher Nolan talked about. Uh, I had this idea of like, what if the the overall metaphor of the story that Christopher Nolan saw there was a uh, an apology to his children who've had to deal with his success and had to deal with him being away for most of their childhood. And it's like his, you know, like as a film director, it's like, this is what I've had to do. I've had to not be with my children for long periods of time. I've had to like, for I've had to miss large swaths of their existence because I decided, me and my wife decided we were going to do this. Yeah, and, and it's right. I mean, I, as far as like, for me, it it, it actually, I know, or, that, or, or I know that Justin did was like, still sucked, <laughs> you know. But uh, this is uh, his face. I'm Sour just, face. Yeah, he's got bitter beer face over here, <laughs> drinking that nasty Shiner Buck. I'm smiling actually, just to say I, you know, it's fine if that's the metaphor. If it's not an entertaining film, you know. <laughs> but also at the same time, six hundred million dollars it makes. Yeah. Who cares Glorious about box office? Yeah, yeah, you know, Transformers makes a lot more money. You do realize, like, it's literally an equation. It's it, literally an equation. It they go it stars. This is how much money their last movie made. Right. Directors. This or yeah. all the people they take. They go. This is how much money we're going to make. That's how they came up with the with ninety million dollars mm. for the opening weekend of of Guardians of the Galaxy. They just did the math. They plugged it into their equation. This is what these people have done or not done. They plug it into their equation. They go. This is what it will do. If it lives up to that, okay, we'll make more. If it doesn't live up to that, we're not making it fucking again. Like, that's how this shit I, goes. I know where you're going, and let me interject quickly, and then we'll move to Nathan. I completely agree with the mentality you have. It's like, Transformers, wow, that was a really loud... Uh, that was... Uh, uh, <laughs> that beer had something to say. Think about... Yeah, I did. Think about... Uh, Fifty Shades and how everyone was super hyped for this movie and everyone on Earth show, except, you know, like, no, hopefully us. I did us. not see that. I yeah. <laughs> but I all these people showed up that went to it. It was huge. 
It was the largest like movie 80, release 80 ever in or the month of February ever, yeah. and it was horrible. And then uh-huh. like well, people walked out going, "That was awful." But the next week, it went from eighty million to twenty. Tw- yeah, it it died, <laughs> and yeah. it's gonna die. Like, they won't make another one because they're gonna flop. They're gonna lose no, money. No, no, the I'm pretty sure the way the like it's guaranteed to at least make the second one. Like no matter what. See like, why can't they do with the girl, the American version, of the girl with the. I mean, it does say plays that he, with fire. What are they going to adventure? Let's go. It does man. say he's still attached to it to yeah. make one Which, well, or make good. it. So that's everything good. I've heard, the biggest that was one of the biggest criticisms is like you can literally see the guy who plays Christian Grey have no investment in the character the entire time of the movie. He was like the fourth guy. They were like, uh, okay, this guy, you can't do it. Okay. Uh, this guy, okay, you can't do it. And then the best one reviewed where everyone was like, oh, fuck yeah, Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy and Pacific Rim. They were like, yes, we got a guy. And then he's like, yeah, I'd rather make Sons. All right, peace. <laughs> Deuces. And then he made Sons and he's super rich. And yeah. but so, or so you said Kip Thorne. So Nathan, is there anything you've been doing? Uh, I finally watched Young Girl. Speaking of David. Yeah. Hey. Um, so what... A great movie. I How was did act- Rosamund Pike not win the Oscar for Best Actress? How was that movie not in general nominated for more things? I was actually really surprised. It's beyond me. after after seeing the movie, I was like, you know, Ben Affleck, whatever. Yeah, he, he already, played he, a really good well, character, he, but he won for Argo, so he's yeah. not going to win. Yeah. You know, he's not going to get again. You know, yeah. they're going to be like, okay, we'll look past Ben Affleck. But who they he, give it to, by the way? Uh, best picture, give, best actress. Who they give that to? As opposed uh, to Rosamund Pike, they it gave was it Julianne Moore because she played a yeah. Alzheimer uh, lady undergoing a, a Alzheimer's. Cut, I thought she was taking care of someone who had Alzheimer's. No, she be, she, she is, had Alzheimer's. She okay. she plays a character who begins to go through okay. the stages of Alzheimer's. Okay. And Oscar Bates, Spooge. Well, yeah, I've actually heard that it's actually a pretty good movie. Like. Uh, not saying it's but, not. But, uh, the theory I was, of I was, a good movie. I was surprised, especially because Neil Patrick Harris was the host, <laughs> yeah. that he didn't get uh, a nod for playing Desi. Uh, I was oh, really man. surprised. Did you see that also, coming? Or, did you or watch even, the book? Or or read even, the, did you watch the book? Did you read the book? I haven't read the book yet. But. Did you see him? Did you see that coming with him? No, I had no idea. No. The whole movie, I had no, no. idea. I'm like, like, every single time, it was like, okay, because this is like, this is more like a four-act movie as opposed yeah. to a three-act movie. It was like every time the act, the next act would start, I'm like, I have no well, idea where idea this is going. What's going to happen? You next. have no idea what's happening. Um, the thing that it, uh, that really brought memories back is uh, I'm watching it, and it just as far as like the real life kind of like, okay, this is our culture now. Like, is the Scott Peterson thing yep. from the early 2000s? Yep. And I looked up some research, and I was like, okay, pregnant wife. Uh, body was found in the San Francisco Bay five months later. He was like, you know, not suspected until literally the fam until they found the body and the family went done. We're done with you. He also yeah, did you know he, he was convicted he, on not a single piece of physical forensic evidence. Well, because there was no physical forensics evidence. But what I'm saying is, is they convicted him nonetheless. Yeah, but but <laughs> like because their body was completely wiped and decayed at that point. She didn't have a head. Yeah. Or hands. Yeah. Or feet. They had to DNA sample her bone marrow. And yeah, shit. yeah. To fucking actually prove. 
And he also had the affair with yep. the younger massage yep. therapist. He told her he wasn't going to be married anymore mm. after this date. He hires an attorney who in real life was Mark Gagaros. Uh, he was a high profile. At, at that point, he had successfully defended uh, Roger Clinton, who's Bill Clinton's. Yeah. Uh, he had uh, successfully defended Nate Dogg for the gun charge. He had successfully defended the Lacey Shandry guy, the uh, Gary Conduit. He'd, he'd failed at, at representing Winona Ryder <laughs> yeah. before he got Scott Peters. And it's like, this guy is the celebrity bait of fucking attorney. And after he represented Scott Peterson, he got fucking Michael Jackson, Jackson off. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. like, holy shit, this guy really... And like the the, tan, the Tanner Bolt character, which Tyler play, Perry... I, I have to say, he I've had no that, respect for Tyler yeah. Perry's entire career until Til I watched film. Gun Girl. Now, it's funny. It's funny you say that. That he said that he would not have put his name on this picture, meaning he wouldn't have been in it if he thought it was going to be as big of a deal as the film ended up being, because he tends to not lend his name to really large projects that aren't his own. Yeah, and so what? That's like, dude, you really just showed your range as an actor here. You you actually had a range, as an yeah, actor. and. Instead of just doing Medea, instead of doing films that even even people who like like movies like that are going, that's racist, dude. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a racist. <laughs> but it's funny you mention that because I'm glad I watched the movie at home because if I would have been in a theater, I would have been that I would have been that racist, you know, that that stereotype of what are you doing? Don't go in there, you know. I don't know like, that would have been me because I was like, dude, tell me this bitch is not going to get away with this. In the whole Man, time. When, okay, okay. We, and, and super spoilers because we didn't say that yeah. yet. If you haven't noticed, we're spoil everything. We always do. Um, now, the detective in that movie is also a reporter in season three of House of Cards. Wow. So it's uh, really good. She's really good in House of Cards. Uh, the, the thing that really, uh, really just like the image that totally just took me away, uh, like... Of like I have never seen this in movies. Like, was her pulling up in the car? She is covered in blood in that negligence. She comes out. There's all the fucking press and everything, and she runs runs to him and he's holding her and like, you know, he says, "Are you bitch?" You know, yeah. but like this moment of she's not the damsel in distress. No, like they have taken that completely Away. out of like this is how fucked up she really, really is, is but it's this powerful film like this is an image that i was just like okay i don't think anybody who was drawing it would have captured like how fucked up this like these actors had to play this because you could only do this in movies like you can only get that level of just like fucked up and wrong and beautifully i need you to admit to the, uh, i need you to admit to the credit card spending yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Bitch, you just what? what? Every every time, every time that they would find something else, I was like, "What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on?" And then the first shot you see of her going, "Day whatever, day whatever, <laughs> that motherfucker," you know? Yeah. <laughs> like she what? faked the diaries. She faked all the shit. I'm just like, "Oh my god!" And I will say, like. It made it made me really want to read the book because holy shit that this lady is now my wife near said, the writer. My wife said that the the film is ninety nine percent 
the, the as far as I did. know, the ending is the only difference because the 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 writer I can't Cillian Jillian Jillian Flynn. Flynn she wrote the screenplay. Oh, yeah. for the film. I, I did. So. I did a little bit of research, and apparently, she wrote the first draft, which is usually the typical place where they go, "Okay, see you later, author." Yeah. Uh, she David Fincher got attached to the project after the first draft was written, and he liked it so much that he was like, uh, "I just want to work with her." so she wrote every draft there was no like in hollywood this is like an amazing feat feat. yeah one writer attached to the project from beginning to end to end and she did she did she got notes from some person and and david fincher gave her notes every time she put in and then so she's writing right now the screenplay for sharp objects which is the book after this after Gone Girl, which has nothing to do with Gone Girl, but is another book that's fucked up. Yeah, she writes thrillers. They're yeah, up. they're it's fucked. Dude, but he uh, looks bombed out of his mind over there. You you okay, Joe? I'm good. All right. I just got nothing to say. You guys are having your little powwow. We're not. No, you can not, jump I, in anytime. I know. I have nothing to say. You guys oh. are covering it all. But uh, the other thing, I just love the Nancy Grace parody. Oh, tell me it was that was not gold. I died laughing like. Oh. When I first saw her, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe they're putting this yes. shit in here. And then when they used it as not just a plot point, but literally the like the crux. Yeah. Uh, like, the actual climax of the movie takes place he, in this moment. Of he's him. like, oh, you want me to be nice to you? You tried to fucking hang me on TV. Yeah. She's like, well, we all make mistakes. You know, and it's uh, like, oh, and nor- Normally I hate it when they, like, cut from a scene... And they delay the they delay the payoff so that the other character can happen to see it magically. But no, it's a real broadcast. It's really been yeah. advertised, so she knows it's going to happen. So they delay it just perfectly enough that she's like, "Okay, I know what I have to do." Like the climax of the whole movie rests on her watching him give this interview, and you're just like, "Wow, that's that's impressive!" Like this yeah. is a, this. I mean, it was. Just, it was definitely. It's so far because I watched it uh, this year. Obviously, I watched it when it well, came last out. Year. On, no, I came in on digital. I watched oh, okay. it on digital. Okay. And it has definitely been the best movie I've seen uh, for the 2014 film season. I'll say well, that. yeah, I, I still feel like Birdman, Birdman deserved the best picture. I haven't seen it, so. Oh man, it's awesome! But uh, I want to. Uh, the next thing I I finally watched toys. Oh, with uh, Robin Williams? Yeah, the Barry. Yes. I have not seen that movie since I was a kid. I love that movie. Uh, so In I, the words of Barbie, I had a dream house. <laughs> yes. I did not remember most of the movie. and uh, you I know, think I've seen it. I don't, I don't remember it. Uh, I've talked about it a few times. Yeah, you've I, mentioned I, it. I absolutely We had bought it. it like the, just a, It was like 2 or $3 at Best Buy when yep. we were doing it. And I was like, you know... It's a Robin Williams movie. I remember Isn't it. Isn't it Barry Levinson? It's Barry Levinson, Go. which is funny because I completely forgot Barry Levinson directed freaking Rain Man. Yeah. Holy shit. And all the other movies he's fucking directed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Sleepers, mm. fucking all those other movies that are not comedies. Right. That like are serious Well, I mean, to movies. be fair, Toys has some of the most out there weird humor for oh, God, anything. Uh, for me, it's like the thing that kills me is like it's so visual. It's so visceral. You don't really like even the stuff you can kind of predict or whatever. It's not really 
predictable. Well, in, in the, the way, in the same way, you think it's going to happen. Well, you know, uh, and LL Cool J's character just he plays it so straight, and he's doing the most absurd stuff. Like the one I always talk about is the bathroom scene. Oh yeah, yeah. and you, it's a you know long shot or wide of a wide, four, wide four angle. Star, yeah, four stall, four um, stalls, four stalls, and. You see, I think it's in the closest stall, you see a pair of legs. Yeah, with and you're the hearing, pants down. Yeah, with the pants down, and you're hearing LL Cool J talking. He's on the phone. And he talks for like three or four minutes. And he finds like, okay, gets off the phone. And in the far stall, you see his legs hit the ground, him open up the door, walk up to that first stall, open it up, and roll up a pair of fake legs, put it in his bag, and walk out. Because Captain Patrick Zevo is a is upset is always training the mission he's always training for the next mission he's always training he's never he is stopped. always in camo like he'll he'll stop in the middle he'll he stops him in the middle of a car ride and then gets out into the wheat so that he can train to get back home you know? the more i watched the, and this was just watching the movie once i was like all the times that i've watched rob Ager analyze movies i'm like this is one of those movies that like no that that you can do that with you can deep analyze all the visual information and like this movie bombed it did Terry so Levinson hard. was nominated for a Razzie that's how no. much people fucking hated this movie when it came out it's fucking brilliant from top to bottom it's like the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory it's like that level of fucked up brilliance you know it's just that kind of weird fucked up thing like and there's, there's you know the two children uh, Leslie and Alsatia which I've looked up what Alsatia means it means a lawless area a lawless land okay. because there was an area in France that nobody controlled called Alsace and so in English law a lawless area is called Alsatia she's always trying on the doll clothes and doing and she's just kind of freely does does whatever does what she, she wants does. you know no one no one really That's cool how they're able to put that there's like this huge reason of why she's named this and why she does this one these odd things that you're like, what the fuck is she doing this for? And and then the fact I like, see, I would never think in a million years to look up what her name meant. But, you and well, you but, did because though. because the sound. I'm like I have never heard this name before. I've heard Leslie. I've heard right. Leland. I've heard Gwen. I've heard Patrick. I've heard Kenneth. I've heard all the character names. I've never heard fucking Alsatia. There's got to be a fucking reason for this. There's got to be a, a reason why they used Alsatia. So I looked it up and I found out. I was like, it took a little bit of research to find a real like definition because Alsatia. If you look it up, it doesn't really come up. But like, you have to look up Alsace and and look up the English definition. <laughs> See, I would have just given up. Oh, they yeah. just mean nothing. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> give up very easily. Um, so like. My my ability to 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 de- to dive deep into Google is like one attempt. Well, well my, <laughs> then my, I tell my wife, "Can you figure this out?" Uh, well, he, he my, hits. You know, I'm feeling lucky every time. Yeah. Like, that's not the place. To if go. I have to click on page two, I'm not going. Yeah. I'm not going any deeper because it doesn't mean anything after but page it, one. But like the fact that like the children just get to live in this impossible dollhouse. They like they're literally living in this dollhouse. That's if. If you look at like the outside, when they when the when it flexes out, because like they have to like remote control and it flexes out, <laughs> so it opens and closes. Down, yeah, it is in fucking possible. The, the the size of the rooms that are in there, there's no oh, yeah. way. There's shots where she's like 
putting the dollhouse together and it backs out and like it's the exact same bloody room and so they they go to the nth degree to make sure that you know that like everything and it's all about there, surrealism yeah it's a very surreal movie there's a music video in the middle of it which is awesome that <laughs> uses nothing but Renee Magritte references yeah who is a French uh, surrealist painter the specific paintings of the son of man which ha- which is the guy with the apple in front of his face and he's wearing the bowler and he has the trench coat and then there's one called I think it's Galbadon and like it's the reigning uh, men that are in right. like that are in the suits with the umbrellas and all that stuff and like the way they played that the, like oh this I love what what channel is this <laughs> no it's music it's MTV I just love that that was the re- and what and the the fact that Mission Impossible uh, yeah you- uh, the fourth Mission Impossible movie. Totally ripped off. Oh yeah, totally. toys <laughs> for their fucking <laughs> illusion yeah. thing. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. Uh, well, it, is the basic story is it's almost like an Ender's Game sort of thing because. By the way, I watched that movie. Yeah. Fuck no! But if that's the end, is how the end is in the book. That's brutal how you do that to a kid. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, it, I mean, it, it's, that's it's, that, but it goes further. Yeah, like, I know. I'm just saying, like, it was like he's done it. He beat the training simulator. Oh, by the way, fuck you, bitch. You it's really the real destroyed deal. civilization. Yeah, you yeah, just wiped yeah. out this race. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, is that with the book, it, with the book, it takes a lot longer. There's a lot more in between that what, built they, him to that point, and him actually getting his own tr- troop, and them basically being beating every person, having to fight multiple times in a day when normally they only fight like once in a week. And just trying to sur- you know survive it and trying to figure out all these different tactics and him beating everything and getting to the breaking point and them going, hey, we you know yeah we we still we still got a little bit further for you to go. Come on back. Yeah, but it, but what really struck me about toys was the general's the protagonist, not Leslie. Yeah, because the general is the first person you meet, not Leslie. Who Robin Williams plays. The general is who gets the factory at first. The general is the person that you follow for huge chunks of the movie. Like, and the general, which they did so many visual things. Do, do you, do you, I guess for the listeners out there who haven't seen Toys, the plot of the movie is basically that um, Robin Williams' father, who's Kenneth Zevo, is dying uh, and he wants his brother who has become a military general to take over the family biz to take over his business Which even is though he's making toys even though even though the the yeah. other brother had followed in the father's footsteps and become a general in the military right instead of giving it to his two children who um, are kind of lala who are just kind of crazy right and he, you, know. you know they're not ready to take over it so he gives it to his brother and his brother comes in and kind of militari- militarizes the factory, makes it into video games that control drones that will, are yeah. built to but actually kill pre, people. This is, this is actually pre-drones. Yeah. This but, movie is pre-drones. It's actually commenting on the things that happened in the Persian Gulf War of using video cameras at, in the noses of planes so that you could more accurately bomb. And it uses the concept of video games... As a, and as an extension to and a toy factory. This is all pre-drone culture, pre-drone everything. 
I mean, holy shit. This is 1992. They are so far ahead of the drone thing. They're commenting on something that hasn't even fucking happened yet. And they're commenting on it correctly. Some guy at the DOD was like... Hey, that's a good fucking idea. Yeah, probably. You can really so, kill brown but, people but with visu- these things. But visually, okay. <laughs> so the 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 general starts out a three star general at the beginning of the film. His oh. father, who's like in a hospital bed, in a mansion, inside an army tent, in a room. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, um, is uh, is a four star general, but not not the son. Well, the sec. After he takes over the toy factory and starts becoming invested in it, all of a sudden he's in this General Schwarzkopf, this desert camo thing that is totally all colorful, like all these different, all these different colors, this confetti kind of, you know, camouflage going on. Now he has four stars, and then at the at the at the third act, now he's in this Nazi SS black <laughs> with red trim and gray red and gray trim. Five stars. They're all elephant heads too, because the elephant was the thing that got the other brother famous as a toy maker. Okay, was the five? Yeah, so it, it's yeah. Oh, layers God. upon layers, and uh, it it's I love it so much. It's, it's for people who don't know what you're going into. It almost it turns almost every <clears throat> single person off. But if you, you you know like it's a surreal. If you say something, it's a surreal comedy, not a Robin Williams comedy. Like Robin Williams pulls a lot back. Like you can tell he's struggling in some scenes, not to just keep improvising and and going. Like they were definitely like, no, we need you to be in this box because you can't be unhinged. But but it you also know? has <clears throat> super dark moments like. The uh, military toys versus the old stuffed bears and stuff like that. And, you know, Robin Williams gives a speech to them right before the big battle happens. And you see them clashing. And it's not like, oh, hey, the old toys are suddenly animate. No, it's like spring-loaded toys that are going. And at one point... Just dying. Yeah, they're just just blowing up and dying. And you see, I think, a baby missing its head going, Mama, Mama, Mama. You see see this, like, mouse creature. One gets its head, like, exploded. And then, like, another one comes up. But is it, like, stuffing? Yeah. No, no, this one was, like... uh, well, the plastic the, or something, but, but yeah, like, but there, there are animal. ones with it's stuffing just, and yeah, and like he makes references in the the patent like speech to like mm. you know it should be them who sees the springs on the ground. Uh. It should be you know, and he goes to the whole. Oh, why don't you make them big bubbling bunts buckets of goo? My favorite <laughs> thing though is before before this, he gives the speech and they decide to do this. He goes. <coughs> We'll fight fire with marshmallows. This <laughs> is this great fucking lines. Like I'm like, how did this movie get a fucking Razzie? This is brilliant. Like from top to bottom, just over. And then uh, uh, the general. What's this is my opera. which? Which by the which by the way is played by Michael Gambon. Yeah, who replaced. Uh, Richard the, Harris. Richard Harris as Dumbledore in the last four Harry Potter movies, four Something or five. Like that, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's oh man, um, and uh, the other thing is uh, the general has the scene where there's a fly just buzzing around in his office. This is way late in the movie. He's already in the Nazi SS gear, and like so, he's like has this gun and he keeps firing it <laughs> at the fly. But before that. He's singing along to an opera song, which is a, which is actually a piece called Nessun Dorma, 
from an opera called Toronto by Puccini, which it has a direct reference to the fact of of the last few lines are victory, victory, I will win, I will, but it's all in Italian, and you don't necessarily, like, it's just this, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you know the deeper level of what they're doing to create the reference, you're like, this is not just an excellent piece of filmmaking, this is an excellent piece of production design, of character storytelling, all the things, like, when you first, when the general first comes into the factory, it's first thing, like, uh, they're trying, Robin Williams, is, the Leslie character, is trying out this jacket that has all this smoke coming out of it. And, like, he's like, oh, the smoking jacket. And that's supposed to be the joke. The joke is that he's now filling the thing. He's actually, like, trying to obscure, like, what they're possibly doing of what, so that he can keep the status quo. You know, he's doing this really low, subtle play against the general. But the general doesn't see, doesn't see the ploy. Because the general is thinking in a different level of strategy. Leslie is not equipped as an adult to play <laughs> on the same, uh, the same, there's so many, oh, so many visual, it's such a visual movie and I'm just like, how is this shitty? How is this movie shitty? Please someone fucking tell me how this movie is shitty. Like, yeah, some of the acting can be kind of so-so, but like the script is top Top notch. Uh, it, it, it honestly requires you sitting down and going into it with the right mindset, and that's the big thing. The w- way I get everybody into the mindset is by telling them about the um, bathroom scene. Like, if you can understand the humor in that, you're going to understand the rest of the humor of this movie. If that just flies over your head and you're like, "Well, why would he do that?" Okay, this is probably going to be for you. I'm sorry, <laughs> oh, yeah. you're too dumb to understand this. Well, it's, it's not yeah. even dumb. It's just like. In order to see the absurdity and know that it's a joke, like to to be able to read the visual information and to understand that that is the whole joke, the punch, the setup, and the punchline are completely delivered visually. There is no hey, you know, but da da da, you know, and then blah blah blah, and that like it's, <laughs> but it's all visual. It's all visual information and being able to read the visual information. So I'm I'm sorry that you did you said that. Because it takes me back to The Sopranos when Chris is at that acting class. Oh, yeah. And they just say, one and two. That's the acting scene. One. And you just come back and you say two. Two. Or you say A. And you say A back. A. 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 Boom! And he just knocks him the fuck out, man. He just... he just The guy just goes, A. Boom! And Chris just knocks him out and just walks out. And everyone's like, what the fuck just happened? You know? Told the whole story. And he was yeah. like, he was like, it's not what he said; it's what he didn't say. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other thing that I uh, that I that I just want to mention real quick is uh, Supreme Blue Rose, which I know I've talked about before. Uh, Warren Ellis, Tulolote. Uh, the last issue came out. Uh, it is, and I'm starting to read. He's got them it. right in front of us. I have I have all of the issues. They are beautiful. The covers all connect visually. That's they, cool. They have visual ref, like you can line it all up as one continuous visual, uh, which with all the character, with all the main characters of the story, um, the main thrust of the whole thing is that it's about the concept of of revision and what if you what if the characters in a comic book became more conscious of the fact that they're being revised. That's a cool concept. Through the lens of like a David Lynch, like they're not answering every question all the time. They get to more answers than a lot of David Lynch movies, but using that lens 
of David Lynch, the kind of abstract, uh, you know, obscuring the truth at first and then slowly, you know, getting to the truth. But the whole idea of what happens when a revision has happened only four months earlier and four months later there are, like, one of the characters has already noticed and he sends this investigative reporter to figure out what happened. Nice. To them, to themselves. Yeah. Well, well, he's trying to figure out what happened in Little Haven, which is the town where the revision happened. Which a big piece. There's there's all these things in Supreme. Uh, Rob Leif, Liefeld, who is famously n- not in the internet, he is famous for not being able to draw feet very well. <laughs> he created oh. a superhero analog in. Uh, <laughs> like a Superman analog in the Supreme character in the early 90s for Image Comics. Uh, Then in, because it was Superman, in the late 90s, Alan Moore came kind of back to American Comics. For those of you who don't know, the guy wrote Watchmen from Hell, V for Vendetta. He came back to American Comics through Image Comics. And instead of, because after Crisis on Infinite Earths, a lot of... uh, a lot of the history of Superman is kind of washed under crypto, the the super dog and all, Supergirl, all the super family, all this stuff is just kind of all the cheesy, silly, ridiculous things. Well, Alan Moore takes that and says, "What if all that shit was fucking true?" Still, through through this lens of this Ethan Crane Supreme character, what if I treat all that shit's true? So every issue is. Like, the first eight pages is one story. Then the middle is a one that takes place in the early career, drawn by a different artist. And then the last uh, eight, eight or ten pages is the is tying the two stories together to a crux, to a climax. I mean, it's amazing. But um, That's Rob Liefeld's yeah. sort of... Uh, Famous... Well, I didn't show him the feet. I just showed oh. him how bad his anatomy he is. He is very... He, everything is over the top. So, everything. All Captain the anatomy. America's chest. Yeah, oh, he's got some pretty, out there. Yeah, he's got some pretty hot tits. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some pretty well, overblown I mean, I, pectoral I mean, muscles. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily opposed to it because I like the idea that... Oh, he, his women could not physically stand up the way they draw. Actually, no, none of his characters but, can physically stand but, up. But... I, but that what's wrong with writing? No, no, no. There's yeah, nothing wrong with it. Yeah, it's just it's become a joke that he can't draw anything that is in any way so. Everything is super, super. Everything's super, super. Your Even tits, super tits, <laughs> super tits. Your dick, <laughs> Justin's dick. <laughs> yeah. Yay, go. we got back to the <laughs> Justin Dick references. Yeah. All right. He, but he is most famous <clears throat> also for creating uh, the Cable character in the X Men universe. Which is a great character. Yeah, he created that character. Um, it's a great character, actually. But uh, Rob Liefeld is not bad in whole. He's just made a lot of really dumb mistakes. He was kind of one of the first rock stars of comics where he made millions. He In the early 90s, he made millions. A comic book artist. Yeah, that's a, a lot. A fucking comic book artist made millions of dollars. Him, Tom McFarlane, and Jim Lee were the three first fucking rock stars of comics like they fucking in the early 90s shipping millions of copies partially because of the collector market boom which was went into bust after yeah but the whole idea of now after the alan moore thing this is 
a revision has happened to these characters in Supreme Blue Rose, and now we're investigating. Like, what what is a revision? How if you if you've read Supreme Comics, you get even more references that are in there and embedded. But it's a really fascinating read. The art is amazing. Check it out. Okay, um, real quick, um, I watched a movie called Frank. I, I've seen the the ad on Netflix. Like, have you seen anything mm-hmm. about it? Um, it's the image of it is of this giant um, paper mache head. Um, it stall, um, stars um, Donald Gleason from the Harry Potter films. He was one of the Weasleys. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and it stars Frank, who is this mu- musician, very kind of the kind of crazy that he can he could do a whole album off of opening in a door creak. You know, and he's about pushing everybody to their boundaries, but he never takes off the head. And Donald Gleason is this guy who's an aspiring musician. He's walking around trying to make his tunes, you know, singing his shitty little songs in his head. And then he just happens upon this band where this guy is trying to drown himself and is going to be out. And he's like, oh, I play keyboards. And the guy kind of walks. He's like, oh, no, I I didn't mean like that. Okay, could you be at the club at 9 o'clock? Sure, should I be there for practice? 9 o'clock on the dot. And he shows up and they've got a, you know, theremin and, um you know, playing drums and a bass, and he's just there to play A, G, and C. Just, you know, play those three. <laughs> and Frank walks out, and he's wearing this head, and he hooks up a microphone that's inside of his helmet and starts singing. And the song he sings is about a ginger crouton in soup. <laughs> what the fuck, man? And in the middle of it, the theremin blows up, and then the Guitar starts playing, and then the band kind of implodes with Maggie Gyllenhaal screaming at the guy, you just fucking stop playing? What the fuck would you stop playing? And they end their thing, and he ends up going, you know, joining the band. He's like, oh, it's just going to be a weekend again, a gig. No, they end up at a house for nine months trying to practice Mm. to record the album and actually go completely without ever recording something, and then a German family comes to live in the house. And they're like, uh, das Boot. I, I, I have a nest. You know, Domino Gleason goes, hey, I've got a nest egg, so we can pay to finish the album. And it's basically him as wanting to be pop and celebrity, and him recording the band without them. But knowing he never it. takes off this fucking helmet. No. Um. So do you hear him muffled? Um, there's a little bit of a, you can hear the muffling because he's speaking, you know, on there and he has no facial expressions. Um, it's played by Michael Fassbender is Frank. Oh, okay. And, you know, it's him like doing all these different songs and going, would it be better if I said my facial expressions out loud? Yeah. Well, bashful grin. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciative <laughs> face. Do you know what that reminds me of? Uh, HK 47. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, there's a video game, Star Wars: Knights of the Republic, and there's an assassin droid. It's actually his HK stands for Hunter Killer, yeah. And it, so he's HK 47. He's the 47th creation of the Hunter Killer model. Okay, and and he refers to humans as meat bags, meat bags, organics, uh, f- super uh, racist. Yeah, he's wow racist. Okay, he talks about aliens in it like really bad. Anyway, long story short, how he says. Would it be good if I said my facial expressions? And he said, like, okay, so, <clears throat> clarification master. 
what I was meaning to say was this, or uh, annoyed response. Master, you're really getting on my nerves with all this, you know, calm and cool, collected, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's so, a... Have, have either of you ever seen Schizopolis? It's a Steven Soderbergh movie. There's literally scenes where, like... He's the guy who did the Bourne films. No, the Ocean's Eleven. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but literally there are scenes where it's like, you know, absurd question. <laughs> Ridiculous response. Yeah, that's... Bad, you know, but it's all that He and I have been doing question, answer, <laughs> for like a long time. But know? it's 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 that. But like, there will be whole scenes, and then like later you'll see the two characters interact, and they're talking like regular people. And then uh, another time you'll see different characters who you've seen talk like regular people. They'll talk in that kind of abstracted talk. But um, so Frank, Frank is, oh, it's all good. Oh, Frank is all about um, you know, this shitty pop musician who's kind of trying to you know has become part of, is trying to become part of the band and kind of push them towards success and they end up getting pulled into <clears throat> south by southwest and um kind of end up kind of destroying the band and like he's their third bass player and the other two have tried to commit suicide or succeeded you know and it's if you watch the trailer the trailer ruins some of the best moments and Plays I it off, fucking hate and, that, and man. plays plays it off like it's a black comedy. I went in without watching the trailer at all, just knowing that you know um, it's kind of based off Frank Sidebottom, which was this British um, comedian songwriter. But it was originally supposed to be a biopic, and then they went, "No, no, we're not going to do it. We're just going to make our own fictional thing, but it will still use the Frank head." Um, there is an amazing scene at the end of the movie which kind of builds on everything that's happened before and kind of showing this. Um, I don't, I actually don't necessarily want to ruin it for you. Watch it on Netflix. Really, really good. Um, really good. If you're into music and can stand experimental shit, I love experimental shit. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> um, I was already like laughing like, Oh, he made a whole album. I'm afraid uh, of experimental shit. <laughs> um, you're really not. <laughs> The, That's right, Justin. Um, I'm not. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, another movie I watched was Housebound. It's a UK um, horror movie. Um, Here he goes again. It's on, it's on Netflix now. Here we go again. <laughs> so Justin really likes all kinds of horror flicks. So the idea of this one is, is it's, you know, I think it wanted to be more comedy than it comes off as. Because, like, the opening scene is this guy... This guy and a girl dressed in ski masks, try, or baklavas, whatever, <clears throat> trying to um, break into an ATM. And the guy's... He's take, They're not meant to be broken into. Yeah, <laughs> and he's, ta- he's taking a sledgehammer to it. He keeps hitting it, and then hits it, and it rebounds and knocks him out. <laughs> um, and she manages to grab some... Dy- or the, like, a hole is in the keyboard, so she manages to put some dynamite in there. Pull him to safety. It blows up. She grabs the thing, and then it just shows her pulling him across the parking lot to put into the car. And then the car hits a curb or something and stalls out. <laughs> and so she ends up having to move in back in with her parents, and is going to be on house arrest for eight months. And weird stuffs happening. Stuff starts disappearing. You know, her mother or her parents just have modem. You know, like modem internet, uh, 56 dial K. up and shit. Yeah, dial up K. on there. Um, and it's just hell for her. And 
she starts to kind of piece together a mystery about this dead girl, you know, and she can't leave the house, so she employs one of the technicians to help her out. Um, and he kind of dabbles in paranormal stuff. He's like, there's no, you know, there's no paranormal stuff going on here. But she finds stuff. He's like, okay, I'm about to, I'm going to upgrade it. You know, you've got a malevolent spirit here. Um, turns out it's this guy living in their, um, in the walls of their house who is, you know, has lived there for years, saw this murder happen. And when the killer is revealed is where I really think the movie shines because it does stuff like, Hey, there was a police officer and he's disappeared. But when they find him, he's in the shower with a corkscrew out of his, in his back from where the killer killed him. They have no weapons. So the heroine starts pulling on the corkscrew, lifting and dropping the body, trying to get it out of the guy's thing so he can fight back. And the mother's going, what are you doing? Well, do you see a weapon? She gets like a um, cheese grater and puts it on her arm to rub it against the guy's face and like to stop him from attacking, puts a laundry basket on him and ends up, you know, you know, falling down the stairs. Um, There's also a great moment where the technician comes and he faces the killer, but he knows who the killer is. And he's just like, you know, oh, you know, oh, I'm so stupid. This, you know, thing happened. And the technician goes, okay, gives him the phone. Hey, call the police. And just walks off. And the killer kind of takes the phone and looks at him and, and grabs a knife and starts to follow him towards where this doorway is. And the technician's working on it. It's like, hey, yeah, I can't get into here. Do you have something to open the hatch with turns around and the killer's holding the knife towards him and he grabs the knife from him, plugs it and tries to, and he's like, now that's too thin and throws the knife to the side. So it, it really starts to mess with the formula as you know, it. like, Oh, this is the killer. We should be afraid. Well, this guy's not going to fucking know that. So it does some really smart things with it. That sounds, that actually sounds, that sounds like a horror movie I could actually watch and be like, this is entertaining. Like, right. Yeah. It's very hard for me to like watch a horror movie and be like, well, and and, and, and why I said it's not horrific, and it, it's got one of those moments. She, at one point, she's on the toilet, and it's like Austin Powers peeing. Like <laughs> it's super loud. She's sitting there, and she hears something move, and the pee just stops immediately. That's and the title of the episode: and, Austin Powers piss. <laughs> um, and, and she just looks around for a second, and then starts. Austin Power pissing again, <laughs> and it's just super loud. And she's just sitting there, and um, and then she hears something, and it stops again. How can she cut off the flow like that? It's it's, it's actually a muscle thing, dude. Yeah. That hurts. Try cutting off next time you're with. No, I, I've done it before. It's like I gotta keep going again. It, it, it sucks, <laughs> but, I, but it's, for, it's a for muscle. Me, you know? For me, it was like okay, it makes sense that's happening, but it's just so comically loud. But yeah. they're not playing it for comedy at that point. That I wasn't sure until I got to the cheese grater face thing, and I was just like, okay, they know what they're doing here. So, so speaking of Austin Powers, have any of you all watched that movie in in the last couple of years? Yeah, uh, I have. Yeah, of course, uh, I've, I I rewatch it out of like. It was like, oh, this is something like I don't have to like pay attention to. And then I was like, this movie is so terrible. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, but God. it's so bad. The, it's, the references have, have yeah. gotten so like not even the sixties or the sixties references still kind of work, but the nineties references are so <laughs> in reference. They're so bad. That's what I loved oh, God. about it. Oh. I loved because it was such a slap in and 
all everything that it offends face. It, it it's it's such a shtick kind of film. I didn't even find it offensive. I just found, I was like, God, this movie no, is so dumb. It was so offensive. It wasn't offensive. That's how offensive it was. Dude, I love Austin Powers. I, I, I do have to say, I do love the opening to Gold. Um, Dude, to Gold thank Member. Thank you, man. I have oh, the, the opening thing. to Gold Member is where they're doing the movie version of oh, all the oh, yeah. big yeah. budget it's, movie. It, it, it's, it's Tom Cruise as Austin Powers. Danny DeVito De- plays Mini Me. Yeah, that's <laughs> so great. I will man. say that the the Will Ferrell joke of. I, I think I'm okay. In, yeah. in, the, in Gold Member is much funnier yeah. than yeah. it is in the first movie. No, I, I think I'm uh, just... Spy Who Shagged Me. Yeah, yeah so. Spy Who Shagged Me uh, the, in the second movie. It's sad that I remember that much. It's Dude, it's because it's made a lasting impression uh, on you. That's what but like, it was one of those movies that I was like, man, this made me appreciate... Like I'd rewatched Wayne's World in the last like year, and I was like, this movie still holds Shrink. up. Shrink. But it still kind of holds up. Where, but Austin Powers, I was like, it doesn't hold up near as much. You remember when fucking Kim Basinger is carrying guards to their fucking bedroom? <laughs> but that's in a dream sequence, at least. I know, but you know, it's so but, fucking funny. But man. yeah, the, that, just... the whole, that whole comedic, like, you never know, like, what comedy, like, is going to work longer. Than like what you're coming up with. Oh, no, now. the film like, was definitely made for its time. Yeah, well, and, and I mean that, no that's kind of the thing friend. is that I think the most the most watched Mike Myers movie that or the movie I've watched the most of Mike Myers is still So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, pretty I, I and I don't I don't actually even know if I like the movie, but I watch it all the like anytime I dude Christina know. Applegate's crazy bitch man. <laughs> but also just the I, I mean as far as like. Well, the, the, the biggest, the, the, the poet, best the joke poetry. of all time about spoken word, yeah, poetry bullshit was in that fucking movie. Yeah, and and that's and that's you honestly know, the reason I showed the movie to Katie was because I made reference to the spoken word word thing. Because so in the nineties, like that was a whole thing of like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and then, <nothing. laughs> you know, there's always the dramatic pause and the crazy. Like you know, Mike Myers physical comedy going on. But well, yeah, I love Mike Myers, so I, it's really hard. You know, he's one of those guys I'll defend until the end, even if it's horrible. I'm like, no, it's great. The last I've never um, seen Love Guru. I, but honestly, I've heard that one's really. Hard. I, no, I, actually, I haven't seen. It, I, I, I actually liked Love Guru. <laughs> wow. You. I, I also saw You Don't Mess with the Zohan, and I like that. Fuck one too. yeah, dude. High five up there. I still haven't seen Zohan. He doesn't have a. It's I've funny. Heard, I've heard that it's actually funnier than like. Well, there's a lot of visual comedy. He's like this super massive. He's like, oh, let me show you how it, you know he's doing push-ups and stuff, and he's like just using one finger to like, you know, like, and then like he looks like he's got a giant package, but it's not his package. It's his pubes. It's awful. It's awful. See, the thing I liked about it is that it's all the the. It's a racist joke, but it's the whole, all the... It's the Israeli-Palestinian um, conflict. Well, but but it's the stores. Yeah, the, the going store, out of business. Yeah, they're all titled, like, going out of business. Like, that's the name of the electronic and 50, store. 50% off yeah. are all the names of the electronic stores. They're like, oh, we get the best thing. You guys were here two weeks ago. Get out of my get store. Out, get out of my store. <laughs> so, so what was the other thing that you watched? Last thing um, was actually, it's kind of a twofer. It's Ghost Story. Uh, Peter Straub's Ghost Story. I read that novel, and I also watched the movie, which uh, had Fred Astaire in it. 
was the last movie he ever did was a horror movie. Wow, what what year was this? Uh, 81, I believe. Wow. Um, the basic idea of it is um, mm. there's this group of men, older men. They meet every once a month, get all dressed up in suits and everything, and go tell ghost stories to each other. And it's like, you know, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? I'm not going to tell you that, but I will tell you the worst, or, you know, what's the worst thing that you've ever done? I won't tell you that, but I'll tell you the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And they, you know. What's the worst thing you've ever done, Nathan? I won't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But I will tell you. Um, But the basic idea is that they start dying off. And so they call in a writer friend, or um, a nephew of one of the members that has died off who is a writer who kind of has dealt with has written a book that's very similar to the stuff they're dealing with and part of the problem i have with it is that in the book is that it takes tangent so it's totally in this small town it tries to do the stephen king thing where you're building up all this cast of characters so you can kind of see what goes on and to be i you know i've read it probably back in the 90s maybe early 2000s and I knew who these people were. I kind of, I remembered the twist, but this time reading it, I didn't know who half the fucking people were. It's like, okay, I recognize the name, but I don't know your relationship to this person. Yeah. So why does it matter that, oh, you've been having an affair, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, but the basic idea of the book is that there's this elemental spirit um, that usually Alma Mosley, um, it, it's always AM initials. And they show up at different points in these people's history, and they're trying to take people and kill them. Basically, kind of feed off their fear, sort of thing. She brings in minions who can become werewolves or whatever else. Um, and it's them kind of owning up to their history, but trying to take out this elemental spirit who, um, at the in the kind of beginning and ending of the book, is trapped in a little girl that this guy kidnaps to kill. And in the movie. Um, they change things around, but basically make it to where she's just a normal ghost. And the twist of the book and the movie is that they killed her. In the in the movie, she was basically kind of getting overtly sexual and basically kind of forcing these guys on her. And then one of them pushes her and hits her head on a... Uh, <clears throat> fireplace and kill and kills her and so they kind of dispose of the body and right as the car is going underwater she gets up and starts banging on the windows because she was actually alive and she's still underneath the in in that lake and their way of resolving in the movie is to pull her body out of the lake and when they open it up she's in there and the corpse kind of moves forward and then it becomes a corpse and dies and hey it's solved and the book, since it's an elemental spirit, like they kill her, put her body into the lake, and then they see a lynx, you know, that's in the, you know, just kind of standing there staring at them and then runs off. So anytime it dies, it moves into another body. So like whenever he kills the girl, it moves into a bird, which he then kills to finally finish it. Um, they can't take the easy route out because, yes, they did drown her in that same lake, um, but a hotel has been built on top of there. So the lake had been, you know, filled, had, up, or filled up and everything like that. It had 30,000 tons of cement, whatever, on it. So um, the last quarter of the book is really good, nice, tense story. But there's so many different stories and tangents that happen. Like when they introduce that writer person about a third of the way into the book, they then spend 
probably a good 60 pages, 60 to 100 pages, just on his story of his relationship with this girl and not telling you how it ties into the greater story until mm-hmm. much later in the book. So uh, when you're reading it, you're just like, why what? did I know this? Why, why, why the fuck do I care? I, and you go, oh. But, but not in a good way. Not the way I wanted it. Right. So it, it was okay. You know, the movie was better than I thought it would be. It did actually kind of rely more on um, tension than it did jump scares, but it still did some jump scare stuff. So, um, last very small thing, I did watch Blue Velvet. You did? Yes. What did you think? Um, I have now found two um, David Lynch movies I like. Finally. Finally, he has, he has, you, you've come over. Well, and to, I have not come over. I, I've tried watching Inland Empire like six times. At okay, Canyon. Inland Empire is late. It is also the one of the most creatively free next to Eraserhead <laughs> of all of his films. As far as like, they literally did not have a script when he was when they were making. You can tell, Empire. yeah. But um, it's also the, the script most, they deserved. Well, no, no, needed. like he. Had, <laughs> it was the first time he'd worked in digital, and he was going to be in Poland for this long. Laura Dern was going to be there too, so they were like, let's. You know, we'll come, I'll write a bunch of I'll write a bunch of ideas. We'll film a bunch of stuff, and we'll see how it comes later. Yeah, um, and Blue Velvet, I would say, is probably one of his. You know, it's not very experimental. I would say there's the editing. There, there, there is some is, like you know Dennis Hopper screaming, "I'll fuck anything that moves." Well, cut to the, empty room. Yeah, and, but also the there the, there's the signature weirdness. Yeah. Like everybody is just weird as fuck. Um, Kyle McLaughlin's kind of yeah, and, Kyle McLaughlin is an idiot. Yeah. Like in every sense of the word, like he's talking to um, one of his blind um, guys who always has a guy kind of walking around with his hand on his shoulder, and he goes, "Hey, how many fingers am I holding up?" And you can clearly see the guy behind him tap him on the shoulder four times, and he goes, four. <laughs> and Kyle McLaughlin's, I never know how you do. That. I can never figure out how you do that. And goes back to work, and you're like, who's fucking with who? Here? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, there's so. There's just so there's, many small things like that. Like Kyle McLaughlin finds an ear. Yeah. He, well, but not only does he find the ear, in the next shot, you actually see in his dream, he you the camera goes into the ear. Right. And everything after that is when it gets fucked up. So, like, the ear is the entrance point to this really... To this world that Kyle MacLachlan had no idea existed. Right. Which, in the opening shot is Kyle MacLachlan's father. You find out. You see him. Uh, it's very very antiquated, like 1950s. Favorite yeah. super you know, 50s. World, you see the the fire truck going past, truck. and they're waving he's, to people. Uh, and like he he's watering the lawn. You see the close up into the lawn. You see the roaches underneath the. Like the the insects underneath the lawn, you go back up. The father grabs his neck, he passes out, and the dog runs over and is like barking, but also like drinking the water out of the and snapping like, at the water like, with its teeth as it's barking and growling. Oh my god, it's so. Uh, but you know, uh, it, there there's, I'd say it's one of his more straightforward plots from what I've seen. Um, at but. It it does have its signature weirdness and oddity. At one point, Dennis Hopper is screaming into a vagina. 
because that's how, <laughs> essentially. Um, so baby wants to fuck. Don't you fucking look at me. <laughs> um, he just punched the air. But uh, oh man, uh, that and uh, David Lynch tells the story of like he'd written the first draft, he took it to Dino De Laurentiis. This is after they made Dune, uh, and Dino goes, "This strip sucks." And David goes, "He was right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that script really did suck. So I rewrote it, and that then he re- he liked it, and that was the movie. Well, you know, I mean, that, that the thing is, like Val Kilmer got offered the part, and he turned it down because he thought it was too pornographic. But he has said, I would have filmed the one that ended up on screen, but they it was supposed to, like David Lynch had cut a four hour version of the movie, yeah. and then cut it down to one frame yeah. short of two hours. Well." uh the one, the reason why he was able, he said that in order to get final cut, he had to agree to a time length. Okay. So he got two hours, but he got final cut. So that is a director's cut. Like that movie is a director's cut. The the Blu-ray version has fifty minutes of deleted scenes that you can add back right. in. I've so. never I've never seen those. That's I'm going to have to check that out. Yes. But that is it. Um, We will be right back with Nerdatois. Sometimes I scribble the dresses too sloppy when I jot them. But anyways, fuck it. What's been up, man? How's your daughter? My girlfriend's pregnant too. I'm about to be a father. If I have a daughter, guess what I'm going to call her? I'm going to name her Bonnie. I read about your Uncle Ronnie too. I'm sorry. I had a friend kill himself over some bitch who didn't want him. I know you probably hear this every day, but I'm your biggest fan. I even got the underground shit that you did with Scam. I got a room full of And we're back for Nerd Now, this like week's pick was a little bit shaky um, just because apparently I was not able to, you know, speak like right now. The idea was for movies that surprised you enough to make you want to follow, basically become a fan for life, um, where you would follow a certain director, actor, composer, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. So, um,. Since this was, or since next week will be David's topic, he will go first. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and, and throw what we're going to do next week, or next episode. <clears throat> and that's your three media items, book, CD, TV, film, whatever, that you're going to take on a desert island for the rest of your life. Yay! Yay! So, I mean, I mean, honestly, though, we've we've always thrown around, like, who's whatever favorite this is, what's your, what this is. Desert Island picks. Uh, but the Desert Island picks, what are you going to, and so I've got a, I've got some, I've got some things I've got to take off the table. Okay. Nathan can't have the Watchmen. Okay. Okay, I'm just saying, okay. I, that's the one you talk to me the most about is one of your favorite graphic novels of all time. You can't have the Watchmen. Justin can't have horror movies. <laughs> I, do, wait, do you want to restrict that more for me? Since he can't have horror movies, I can't have comic books. Rest, just go ahead, do it. No, because if he can't have a whole genre, I can't have a whole genre. Yeah, I was just handicapping him. Yeah, I don't care. I, I, <laughs> I want, I want, I want the bigger handicap. Make oh, it so he wants the bigger handicap. That's make what it, it's about. Make it harder for me. It's because he's got a bigger dick, isn't it? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. No. It, just take what you want. Take what you want. This is what you can have. No restrictions. Uh, no, I want restrictions. No, no restrictions. No. Give, you can give yourself restrictions. Okay. Yeah, you can give yourself now, restrictions. Right. Now, I'll, now I'll, focus, Dave. I'll, I'll tie myself up. Okay. So that so that's what it is. So everyone, submit your... Th- we're, we're going to have to reiterate this at the yeah. end of all this. Yeah. So how about yeah. your number three? So 
here is my lifelong, you know, my my lifelong fan shocker guys. Okay, number one. What? No, start. What's your number three? Oh yeah, you're. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Reverse number order. three. Forgive me. It's been a minute. <laughs> uh, was Christian Bale in American Psycho? When I saw American Psycho, I had never seen a Christian Bale film, and it was amazing in every way that a film could be amazing and he played that role it's amazing it's a it honestly and i was just like okay now everything that he is in i will watch even the shitty movies especially i haven't seen it yet but i will which is the gods and kings of exodus gods and kings or whatever that ridley scott film i'm gonna watch it because he's in it and i bet you he does a good job. Even if it's a shitty role, I bet you he still does a good job. Because I've never seen a well, film... Even Terminator Salvation. Like. Yeah. He was good in it. But even if it's a bad movie, he won't take a step back from his performance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He won't half-ass, half-ass his job. He'll, he'll still give it. His he'll life. still give it. I think my favorite thing is the fact that the he was related to, I think, one of the producers, like... Who initially didn't want the movie American Psycho to be as violent? Oh, who? How could you not? Well, no, it was just from the novel yeah. to the screenplay. Like she didn't want it to be near as violent, and then and that's a like, Hitchcock. No, that's not. What? That's just Psycho. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. American Psycho. I can't remember the yeah. female. There, it was a Psycho. Female. Just Psycho is Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Alfred. Uh, American yeah. Psycho. Uh, but uh, the fact that. Uh, he was related to like one of the producers who was like, "Oh, this book's too violent." Blah blah blah. And then like the final version of the movie that they made and they approved and everything. Brady Snell's like, "This is just as violent and fucked up as the yeah. book. Like, it's not as fucked up as the book is, but it's like, it's just as fucked. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah that, that's uh, I funny, I, funny little things that you find out years after. So number three. For me, uh, and this is not because I feel like this director is ranked this way, but the thing for me was Fight Club. When I saw Fight Club, there were two people I knew I was going to be fans of probably for their entire careers. One was David Fincher, and two was Edward Norton. And there's just, yeah, there's just, uh, it's a top to bottom, it's a great yeah. film. Uh, it, it, it works, it's survived. That was kind of the Ed years. Norton film for me. I saw. I saw that, and then I watched um, uh, American History X. Oh yeah, that, and then I was like, "Then yeah. that was the film that was like, I gotta watch yeah. more Edward Norton stuff." Yeah, you American know? History X. Like, I had already seen Fight Club, and then people were like, "Have you seen American History X?" Like, no, no, What's that? What? <laughs> yeah. And then like, it has you know the kid from Terminator <laughs> Two in it. Yeah, you know? yeah, Edward Furlong. Edward Furlong. Well, and, um, see, uh, my buddy, um. Mickey, my best friend in high school, he loved American History X, but the thing he always talked about was the um the fake sex scene, the ah 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 yeah. I love you <laughs> scene. And that was the thing he that brought you know, it was like, Oh yeah, you totally have to watch it for this scene and then watch the movie, I was like, Oh, this is awesome and then you learn all the yeah. shit about American History X and go, Wow, that's fucked. Yeah, this <laughs> movie is so fucked up. You know, like that I'm sorry, keep going, man. I apologize. Yeah. Oh, the the and just it was a thing that introduced me also to like Chuck Palahniuk yeah. in general. So it's dude, like, his book. Do you ever read Choke? I have not read Choke yet. Fuck, I man. have had uh, people spoil a lot of Choke 
been when it came out because uh, yeah, it was well, so it the, was so the, fucked up for the time. Well, the problem with the choke, rape scene and whatnot. Well, the problem with choke is that well, for me was that I read all of his I read like six of his books in a row after watching Fight Club, and choke was the last one. And choke starts out with "You will not like this book." Yeah. Like, you know, and that's the character is just like, fuck you right in your face. I don't care what you think. And honestly, I didn't like the book because for me, I was probably burnt out on Chuck Palahniuk by that time. Yeah. But it you was ever thought weakest. about going back to read it now and then seeing what you thought now? Not really. The book that I still need to read of his that I've heard everybody still tell me is Invisible Monsters. I it's love one Invisible of the books Monsters, that, yeah. I haven't read it, so. There, yeah. There's a book. So there was a Lullaby movie, is my favorite of his. There was a shitty uh, Oliver Stone movie. I didn't see it. Called Savages. It came out in 2002. Mm-hmm. The first line in the book is literally mm-hmm. like, you get past all the title pages, dedication, blah, blah, blah. Fuck you. That's awesome. <laughs> like, that's how it starts. That's, awesome. that's what turned me on to uh, The Martian was just the first, I am surely fucked. <laughs> like, what? I, I yeah. really hope the opening line of that film is I am sure Fuck or no, he just goes Fuck you know Damon just does something like Fuck you know yeah. or something of yeah. that nature where he's just you know fucked up over it, man. Yeah. Like, dude, I'm fucking I've got a hole in my suit. I'm I'm fucking here <laughs> all alone. I don't know where the fuck I am. I'm gonna fucking die, I'm fucked, you know. Yeah. And a hundred people will be there in a a decade. So, um, my just, number three would be Perfume um, and Ben Wishaw. Oh yeah, like I, I absolutely love the movie Perfume. It is gorgeous. It's dark. It's twisted. Really interesting subject matter. I mean, especially with the way that they try to portray smell in oh, a, yeah. you know in that movie. Um, but Ben Wishaw. He, I love him, dude. He was he was perfect. And then you know, going back and going through the catalog and seeing him in Layer Cake and him as Q in um, Skyfall, the uh, Cloud Atlas. I can't remember his name in Cloud Atlas, where he right. he's yeah. the one who actually writes the Cloud Atlas sextet or whatever. Yeah. He that movie for me was the film that made me want to watch everything that he's in. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just love, uh, you know, he and was he's a, such a chameleon too. That's what uh, kills me. He, like you don't even recognize him as Q, as Ben Wishaw. You see him as Q. Yeah, yeah. And he know? showed up um, in Zero Theorem as well for a brief cameo, which was like, oh, this is amazing. So many people. He's great, man. He, yeah. I, yeah, that's a good pick, man. Because I, I really enjoy perfume and just in general, f- super fucked up movie. Oh yeah. And according to my wife, super f- even more super fucked up book. Yeah, that's Patrick Susskind wrote it. That's probably going to be the next one I read. Um, So, what's your number two, Dave? Uh, It's really cliche, but I really liked Goodwill Hunting, and I really liked Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. That was the film that was like, don't let Patton Oswalt let you, you know, hear that. (laughs) It's all right. I mean, oh, it's just there have been so many jokes in his stand-up comedy, and and words from the (laughs) Goodwill Hunting's. Replay will swim down like razor blades of mediocrity, you know. Yeah, I mean, just like if you if you see how he plays that character, where he knows he's smarter than everyone in the room, and it's like, you, what is wrong with him? And you don't like when 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 uh, Robin Williams like gets in his fucking face about his wife, you know? Don't you ever fucking talk about my wife? I'll, you know, and he just goes off, and then like Damon is just like. You can tell what he was just said, like impacted him. But then he just did you um, just let it come off as brown. He's like, yeah, what the fuck ever. 
Did you watch um, Every Frame of Painting? those thing there's a great thing it's about robin williams and how camera movement and everything and it goes through that scene where you know you don't know loss until you you know think of something more than you're you know that whole thing yeah and it's you know it's the two of them separated and then the way that the camera pans around him it ends with the final shot of them both in the same frame together for the first time and that's the moment that they meet as also if you don't know what the mathematical problem i'm having trouble remembering what it's called but the number file YouTube channel, the uh, the uh, Doctor James, I want to say Gregory. I know that's probably wrong. Grimes, James Grimes. Uh, he's a British mathematician. He did an entire video of what the actual problem in Goodwill Hunting is, and how it judges as like a tough or not tough <clears throat> problem in real maths. You know, uh, study in real mathematics study. So if you if you like Goodwill Hunting, you should check that out. But what you know, what kind of goes to that though, is that this kid has no formal education. Oh no no no! And no. he just is able to do the math like, it, yeah, it's nothing to him. Yeah. And he can do anything like he can read like that. He can recall history like that. He, yeah. And it's just like the character. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's just it's just interesting to see yeah. someone see a mathematician's perspective on Good Will Hunting. <laughs> no, that, I mean just, yeah. that's something I'll dig. So. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. So yeah, Damon, two. Uh, for me, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Doom, the original 1984. D U N E D U N E Dune, the adaptation of Frank Herbert's novel that is not exactly a great adaptation. But it was one of those movies. It got I play me the to, fuck out of that game on, on Sega. It got me to read the book. It got me to follow fall in love with the story of Dune. But it also introduced me to David Lynch, and it was my window into the to my passion for a lot of David Lynch's movies. Uh, and um, introduced me to Kyle MacLachlan, uh, Max von Sydow. That's the first movie I remember seeing him in. Uh, there's just there's so many wonderful character actors that are in that movie that appear throughout you know, 80s and 90s cinema that are all in there and they're, they all do give wonderful performances and the idea of words and sound as a, as a killing tool. And it was just a, it was just a fascinating thing to me as a, as a young boy. I was completely fascinated by it when I saw it. Nice. Um, for me, um, it would be drive to follow Nicholas winding Refn. Um, I had seen a lot of his movies before that. Um, Bronson, I even showed as part of the movie club here for a little bit, to which one of my friends said they didn't like it because it was too artsy. The fuck does that mean? <laughs> well, if you watch uh, Bronson, it definitely has an artistic bent to it. It's There's definitely scenes uh, to be pretty for the sake of being pretty. Yeah. So well, but even Drive has some of that too. It, it does, you know? um, but Drive but, was you know, and I, I watched Bronson several times. But Drive was the one that finally made the, made me go, "Holy shit! This and, this is what you can do with this." Well, and and, and that's him with other people's material. Yeah, like, and that then that's me. You know, that made me go back and watch you know Pusher and start working my way back through his catalog again to watch his old stuff and then Drive has become one of my favorite movies. I watched Only God Forgives which is more of a Lynch, Lynch movie than it is anything yeah. else. Um, but even still I've now seen that twice and will continue to watch anything Refn does. Because he's just he's a fantastic director. I wish he was smarter or was more eloquent when he spoke but most of the time all of his ideas come from just I was really, I was really sick and we were driving around town and I said, "This is this is what we're going to make. We're going to make a movie about driving." 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Like, you ever wondered well, how... He, and he didn't even write the script to drive. No, that was somebody else. It's so. funny, though. You, well, you it's know, based you, off a novel. I, I, yeah. You see all the shitty movies get made, and you were talking earlier in the show about, you know, like they get inundated with all these scripts, and it's like, well, how the fuck did that get on the well, top? Well, but, <laughs> uh, I, there was a great interview with uh, uh, Jeff Jones. Jeff Jones is now the creative director of DC Comics. He was originally a comic book writer, but he also worked in uh, shit, the guy who directed Superman. What's his name? Lethal Weapon. Richard Donner. Richard Donner. He worked in Richard Donner's studio, and he said the only reason there was a list of 20 projects that they were developing at the time, and Mel Gibson walks in and says, here's this script. I want to do it. That's Richard Donner's next project now, and that's how we have conspiracy theory. Is because which Mel, I love. Mel Gibson walked in and said, "No, we're doing this. I want to do this. You direct it." That's the other side <laughs> of it. When you have the power, yeah. When you have the structure, and when you have the money uh, of the clout. I mean, Reese Witherspoon is the person. The reason why Gone Girl got made, she she paid her production company paid for the film rights. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is the reason why Wolf of Wall Street got made. <laughs> yeah, but that's a great fucking movie. And 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 fucking Gangs of New York if Leo hadn't gotten attached when he got attached. Like great segue. My number 1 is Leo DiCaprio from Gangs of New York. <laughs> <laughs> uh when I saw Leo in Gangs I saw Leo in Titanic. That was the and I saw Leo in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I've seen Leo in a lot of things before I saw Yeah. You know, I saw him in Romeo and Juliet. I saw him in uh, The Man I'm in the sorry, Iron Romeo Mask. plus Juliet. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, saw <laughs> I knew he was going to do I that. Saw, he, uh, he had a he had it laid out here. Yeah, it's right there. Uh, he he. But I saw him in Man in the Iron Mask. I saw him in uh, Romeo and Juliet. He was, he was already famous when yeah, you finally. But saw I saw him. and I saw him in the beach, and I really liked the beach. But a lot of people hated the beach. I enjoyed it, and then I was like, okay, I'm still not really sold on the guy. He still keeps doing this same kind of thing. And then he did Gangs of New York, which was completely separate from anything he'd ever done before. You know, he really bulked up. He got been really, you know, he got a really grimy, gritty look. He looked like a man for once. He, he used a more uh, a different dialect and yeah. accent. You know, it, and so for me, it, it, that was the film that I was just like. And, and Garrett Emery, if you're listening, Garrett Emery. Uh, you told me to watch more Leo films, and I started with Gangs. You made me check it out from GameStop Funkoland, uh, and I'm, I've never gone back. Leo's always been my main dude. Yeah, every we, fucking every if fucking we, movie. If we ever in. find Garrett, I know. <laughs> if, 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 if he's ever nominated for an Oscar, all my chips are in on Leo, even though they'll never fucking give him one because he's too goddamn pretty for those people. Well, and that's uh, why they give it to people like you, you Eddie Redmayne for you, well, playing. You know what's funny is he'll Stephen probably Hawking. be fifty. 60 they'll finally give him yeah like it, it'll basically be a lifetime achievement award is what yeah. they'll give him but they'll finally give yeah. it to him and for some bullshit yeah. too like it'll be a bullshit part in a bullshit movie and like they'll be like didn't they give go. julianne Moore a lifetime achievement award and the oscar no it was it was uh it was the lady from sound of music okay oh, yeah okay yeah award. okay uh, i can't remember numero uno name. nathan uh, the, and this will probably that's number one for those so, who don't speak Spanish. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> uh, oh. all right. So after we've passed the obvious reference, um, so the movie for me that for me number one it struck me, 
uh, writing, acting, directing, every element of it was was Pulp Fiction. I knew oh, I, man. That's I a knew good I was going to be a Quentin Tarantino <clears throat> fan. I knew I was going to like him with Thurman, even though she did some really shitty fucking movies uh, in the late 90s. Uh, I knew I was going to... Yeah, but did you really think she would kill it with Kill Bill? But She killed it with yeah. Kill Bill, man. But, but that's the movie that kind of redeemed her I doing know, Batman and yeah, Robin. I mean, kind of like um, Pulp Fiction resurrected John, John Travolta. John Travolta. Uh, Who, yeah. By the way, that wasn't supposed to be John Travolta. Some other guy got cast for it, and then he was like, ah, fuck this, man. I don't want to do it. And, and like, then they just shoved him in there. But the but also, like, just Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Uh, even Bruce Willis, because when I was young, I was young enough that I hadn't seen Die Hard yet. Right. But I got to see Pulp Fiction because. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, I think it was like you know ninety seven when okay. I saw Pulp Fiction. But it was like you know when I was like thirteen or fourteen instead of like pretty sure my dad rented it. Yeah. But I hadn't seen Die Hard yet. That wasn't like a really shitty TV. That's like the movie you remember. You see these all these actors in Bing Rames. I mean, just so many people. Just careers launched, amazing script, yeah, you know, uh, amazing uh, things that both him and Roger Avery did, uh, um, and also just you know Christopher Walken. I mean, so many the people. Watch. Uh, yeah, just, <laughs> well, just like actors that you're like, you think about like I've seen them in fucking amazing pictures. I've seen them in shitty pictures. I've seen, but like you just see all these people and you go. That's a fuck. That's a great movie, top to bottom. Yep. You know, that was, and I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs yet at that age, but Tim Roth, I mean, just all these people. So, but that's it's a huge name. cast. It's a huge yeah. cast. Yeah. How they did it for so little money, by the way, also, because it was a low, low, low budget film. Because all those people were working for scale. Well, they, yeah, the you know? Reservoir Dogs had come <clears throat> out, so they were probably all like, I want to be in this guy's. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, also, I mean, some of those people were hand picked. And yeah. unknown Sam Jackson unknowns was, in a lot of yeah, ways. Definitely. You know, like they'd made movies, but they hadn't crossed over into yeah. mainstream appeal. And that that was the movie that did that for all of them, pretty much. But that's my number one. My number one is it's a little known movie. I don't think I've ever talked about it. Um, it's it's called Primer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fucking yeah. yeah. good high five. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Double so, high five. <laughs> so. Uh, it's for the Damn, that's a good the writer director Shane Carruth, um, who I will watch anything he ever writes, directs, is even tangentially associated with. There's only three movies at this point, right? And, <laughs> but still, and then that and that since 2004, yeah. when the first one came out. Um, Primer is about a bunch of garage. Um, engineers, engineers yeah. who just happen to make a time machine, and what happens with that and what i love tell them how they found out the time machine was a time machine that's a really important moment it is but it's also like 20 minutes of the film as they lead you point to point to point to figure out how what i love so much about this movie is how much mathematics go go into into it it without Mm. without overwhelming you it is a movie you have to pay attention to it took me three times watching it to even be able to follow conversations and know what i need to listen to but what i love about it is like to explain the time machine, um, they turn on the um, they turn on the machine at the beginning of the day. Take themselves out of the equation, or yeah, I think they yeah. just worked their normal day, if I remember yeah. right. And or no, what they well, did was yeah. See, this is how fucked up it is. That what they would do was is they would 
<clears throat> they would work out their day, go into the box, go back, and then keep and themselves then, out of the equation, and keep themselves out of the equation, and then do whatever they wanted to do. Like if they until, wanted to play until the lottery, their, until their people went back, back into the box, yeah. and then they resume, resumed their normal lives. And what's um, so and what's so great about it is there's this amazing moment where if you understand oh. their rules, then you get it, yeah. and that's. He talks about um, going into the box and waking up and feeling like it, you know he needed to get out of the box, but he trusted the math and got out and it was fine. Whenever both of them go back, you're seen outside the box and w- the guy who trusted the time gets out, he's fine. He just kind of sits back, he's a little bit winded, but he's breathing okay. And about a minute and a half later, the other guy gets out and he's coughing and he's having a hard time struggling, trying to get up and sit upright. And they don't ever address it. But the point is, is that he woke up, didn't trust the math and got out early. But because he got out earlier, he was actually on the back end of the loop and was getting out later in the day. And it's, it's stuff like that that makes this movie special. And then he, and then even the production is Dirt, yeah. Lit, what they, how much did they make it on? Twelve. It was five thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars. Um, and the, the box is literally wood and sheet plastic. <laughs> that is what the box is. Um, it, there's no other thing to it. And they go in there with like some oxygen, oxygen, and, tanks, uh, with yeah. an oxygen tank, and they, you know, they put it over like what you would, you know, if uh, somebody was on oxygen. But but from the smoking. way it's shot, it's totally believable. Yeah, and and they go and they rent storage units. And you're like, well, um, and the thing about it, filming also is that he didn't realize that he needed B-roll footage to extend the movie out. So he literally would record just what he needed for that scene, say cut, and that was it. Yep, that was all. That was what was in the movie is what he filmed, which is amazing. And it's a, a hundred and seventeen. No, it's it's an hour and seventeen minutes. Yeah, it's like it's, it's a short movie. It's seventy-seven minutes. You watch it and it feels like a two-hour movie, oh, and this not is so detailed, not it's... in a bad way. It's you know, I showed it to one of my friends, and after we finished, the first thing she said, she turned to me and said, "You didn't tell me I was going to have to think." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Did I watch the it with you first, time. or did you send me home to watch it? I think I sent you home to watch it. But um, Shane Carruth has also done Upstream Color, and which the, is on Netflix, which is on Netflix, and that one I haven't got that into, but I you know. I've watched it once. I need to watch it again. Um, but he was also... Um, he did the time machine for he, uh, um, Looper? Yeah, he was the designer for the time machine for Looper, which unfortunately made me that more disappointed in Looper that... Even though it was still a good movie. You had Shane Carruth and... Yeah, I had Shane Carruth and Ryan Johnson, who are... Ryan Johnson is also one of my favorite directors. Who's, by the way, doing the second Star Wars film. Yeah. The, and, of the new trilogy. And something else. Trying to remember. I think he's writing the third one, but well, he's attached to something else. Yeah, I know what you're talking Star about. Star Wars. It's it's one of the superhero franchise things. He's yeah. Attached to. Uh, I, I oh, I'm remember. drawing a blank. Yeah, yeah. yeah but he's yeah. But that's in the rumor. <clears throat> I know that's not official. Like he is full on official. Like he is. He the is dire- the director. He will be taking the director's chair from J.J. Abrams. Abrams. Yep. So no matter. How this movie does, blah blah blah. He will, which be the by director. the way, it's going to do fine. Oh god, yeah, it's, it's going to do fine. <laughs> it's probably going to break the. It's probably going to break box office records again. So, um, that is my number one. Uh, what do we such have? Such a for, good movie. Man. Yeah, it is. It's such a good movie. 
what do we have for listener submissions? It doesn't matter. It's not primer. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. <clears throat> sorry, as we're doing papers here. Uh, so Brandy Mars, uh, I hope I'm saying that right, had spun, and that's by Jonas. Well, Ack- it, it, or, or that who she's following because of spun is Jonas Ackerland. Um, there will be blood, which is a phenomenal movie. If people haven't seen it, and the book is just called "Oil" with an exclamation point by Upton uh, Sinclair. Uh, yeah, and uh, but she started following Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, please go back and watch "Last of the Mohicans" if you haven't. <clears throat> it's a great movie. Uh, watch Gangs of New York. That's his best work, in my opinion. Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks. Um, that's a really good movie. It's probably, in my opinion, it's the best soundtrack for a film of all time. It's it's up there. Uh, it's got to be close anyway. It, it's up there. It's uh, Jim Teeter, Jim Vampire Jim, um, Southland Tales. He doesn't say who he's following. Uh, uh, equilibrium. The, the director. Uh, it's got to be as Donnie Darko. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Equilibrium, and then uh, which is I can't believe Equilibrium's on the list. Christian oh, Bale. Yeah, it's Christian Bale. It's either. Yeah. I, I love Equilibrium. The, the gun kata. Yeah. The gun kata. Like I had friends who were martial artists, and they were like, "Okay, this movie." Is is 1984 slash The Giver? Yeah, it's a poor man's Matrix, man. <laughs> but it's the fucking gun kata is at, yeah. is fucking exact. This is what you would do if you created a martial art out of fucking gunfight. Well, and, and the the problem with it was is that Kurt Wimmer um, actually wanted it to be more smooth, like what is in Ultraviolet, but they got a karate expert. Um, they should have gotten a kung fu expert, right? And so they <laughs> got it, which which did that, but then he was able to finally realize it with Ultraviolet, which was ripped from him from the studios. So I'm a yeah. huge Kurt Wimmer fan as well. Uh, and then he had uh, Clockwork Orange, which I'm assuming Stanley, Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick, yeah. So Malcolm, McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, yeah. Um, Olin, regular. Well, I would say he's a he's a regular on the show. <laughs> He does regularly submit. Yeah, he regularly submits. You're not here. Yeah, Olin still submit. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I try to submit every time. Uh, uh, okay. Anyway, he so he had a for composer Hans uh, Hans Zimmer uh, for the Lion King. Yeah. Um, which I I don't know if you guys remember uh, and, uh, what's when we were talking about toys earlier. Yeah, Hans Zimmer. Okay. Well. So, okay. So you remember the scene from the Lion King where Mufasa is trying to rescue Simba in the death scene? Yeah. Right. That scene. The music made it all. It it made it all. The, just the 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 sounds and it, you know it's just as great uh, for the departed for Martin Scorsese. I'm sorry, Taxi Driver Owen. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver. Um, <laughs> taxi Driver. But then he had Gangs of New York for Daniel Day Lewis. Again, see Last of the Mohicans. It's really see, really see really pretty good. Pretty much anything. Daniel Day Lewis. Well, about. he no. Owen and I can talk DDL all day. We love some BDL, man. He that guy. He gets an Oscar for everything he fucking does. That's what it seems like nowadays. I mean, well, I did he not get one for Gangs of New York? Yeah, I get, think so. And then he got one for Lincoln. Lincoln, and then he got one for There Will Be Blood. It's, yeah, he's had him three back to back. He's the only guy who's ever done it. But, but he's have. also he's also one of those people that like he's so 20, eccentric, man. Twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five. Every day of the shoot, every moment he's on or off camera, he is that character. They made him, he made people call him Mr. President. Man, fuck you, DDL. I'm not calling <laughs> you that. <laughs> uh, Steve uh, is a great friend of uh, Justin and I. Uh, uh, 
uh, Magnolia. He started uh, really getting into Philip Seymour Hoffman after that film. Yeah, as uh, well as you get into P.T. You know, Anderson. P.S.H., he's the shit, dude. Uh, it's unfortunate Such he died, sad, you know, from a so sharded much guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, Along came Polly. Yeah, everything he was in was, I'm the fat, overweight loser that you really, you know. What film changed that? Uh, Mission Impossible 3. The best Mission Impossible. I, and you're the one who made me watch it was Mission Impossible 3 because I was like, dude, Mission Impossible films upset. He goes, Justin's like, Dave, <laughs> fucking watch Mission Impossible 3. Him and him and Garrett Emery. Garrett, if you're listening. <laughs> Garrett, Garrett, you're so we, you're we, responsible. We, for you're responsible we, for we miss a lot you, of Garrett. my film culture. You know? <laughs> Actually, technically, Capote changed it. but yeah. Mission Impossible 3 was released first. No, Capote came out first no. and then he got Mission Impossible 3. Really? Yeah, yeah. Capote, Capote yeah, got nominated fucking for Oscar. an Oscar. No, he won the Oscar oh. for that. I thought he just got nominated. Capote, but, but, speaking I mean, of that. To, to be fair, in Twister, he was the fun, yeah. overweight dude, but... Well, but even in... Uh, now, in, in Magnolia, he's not a loser. He's the nurse. Yeah, yeah. He, in Boogie but, Nights, he's not the loser. Well, he's the guy you're supposed to pity. Well, yeah, but um, you know, and that's, now in happiness, he is the fucking well, um, loser guy. I mean, and then pity. like shortly after, around Capote, he did Losing Lisa. Yeah, which was uh, really. Did you see Before the Devil Knows You're Dead? Oh yeah, I love Before the yeah. Devil. Yeah, I've got that up there. Yeah. Um, but need to see that. um, Twenty Fifth really Hour. Good. He was the guy. He was the weird pederast. You know, uh, yeah. and then he had uh, Denzel Washington, which. John Q, which is a great movie. It's kind I've of never seen that one. So it basically John Q is his kid's got a heart problem, and it's a he's got a, he's going to die if he doesn't get a new heart, and his insurance won't cover a heart transplant, and so he takes the hospital hostage. What's uh, what's the movie? The military movie with Denzel Washington, Meg Ryan, and Matt Damon. Uh, Courage Under Fire. Courage Under Fire. That which was the movie. is the movie that yeah. I got into. Yeah, and Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Courage Under Fire was great. And then Blood Diamond was his for Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, which I remember uh, Matt Whitmill saying that that was the worst uh, South or uh, he called it a New Zealand accent. And I'm like, dude, it's not it's not New Zealand. It's, uh, it's South African. And if you if you listen to South Africans, it kind of it's kind of spot on. That's a okay. listen to Charlotte Char- yeah. Colby <laughs> yeah. talk and you'll go. Oh, oh. Except for when you hear him in uh, in. Uh, Elysium is you know, <laughs> you go to get me now, boy. You know it's like, dude, well, I can't even understand your dialogue in this movie, man. <laughs> uh, and then I'm sorry, you say it, Daryl Van Ostrom. Okay, because I'm going to keep calling you Van Ostrom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, he has uh, Vin Vendors, which is for Wings of Desire, which was remade into a terrible Nicolas Cage, Mike Ryan travesty called City of Angels. <laughs> uh, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky uh, for uh, El, El Topo. Which I love the first half of that movie, hate the second half I have, of it. I bought the DVD. I haven't watched it yet. I need to oh, watch man. it. Oh, uh, man. And then for his final pick was Dan O'Bannon for Return of the Living Dead. Specifically as a writer for that yeah. one. Okay. So, uh, and then we've got <clears throat> Skylar Deal. Yep. hope I'm saying that right. Rushmore uh, following Wes Anderson. Uh, Platoon cannot go wrong with Platoon. Oh, That's the down. movie that got me in f- with uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, uh, he was in Inception, Browning in Inception. What's his name? Fuck. Tom Hardy's imitating him. What's that actor's name? Tom Berenger. Tom Berenger there you yeah. go. Got me into him. Uh, Charlie Sheen. Uh, 
that was a great movie. That's there, a great Vietnam a of, movie. That's also just a lot of great actors. Yeah. That's probably one of Oliver Stone's like yeah. best. And then E to Mama Tambien. Uh, that's French. No, it's a Spanish. <laughs> okay. It's a Mexican. <laughs> oh. I don't fucking know. And I can't space. I'm spacing on the director, so I'm actually gonna look that up real quick. <laughs> and, and this will be who's or well, let's see if uh, let's get Nathan uh, to give us that. Well, the the big thing I'm sure is uh, Gail Garcia Bernal, um, who's an amazing actor. That was his kind of. Uh, Debut. Tambien, that's right. That is yeah. Spanish. My bad. And then uh, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> and you will not believe the director Alfonso Cuarón. Hey, for me. That's his. That that's, uh, no. Uh, gravity. Gra- oh fuck. Gravity. Children of Men. I like Children of Men. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, that's my favorite Harry Potter. Yeah, but fuck gravity. That was his. Uh, totally. That was his directorial debut. And then our last submission, and this is a special submission, <laughs> uh, Justin. Forbade me from seeing this until <laughs> until the end here. Uh, so we so that when I read it, I guess I'd laugh a lot. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming it's Matt Dinger. Yeah, it's okay. Dinger. Okay, the Ding, the Dinger. I don't, he's gonna I don't know if people kill call you. you that. Yeah, <laughs> Justin says he's I'm gonna get fucking killed. That's all right. Uh, Adolf Hitler. The Triumph of the Will. Wow. So he really got into Hitler. Apparently. Uh, apparently. Zig Heil, motherfucker. <laughs> wow. Does he have a, a first have no, edition I, Mein Kampf? I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he got really into Roger Rabbit from Who Framed the Roger Rabbit. He had to follow Roger for life. I mean, how- <laughs> so, so what he really means is that he's watched every single frame of Who <laughs> Roger. Framed Roger Rabbit. Just to see who really framed him. Roger, yeah. <laughs> and then John Goodman for arachnophobia. Now, I don't know if that's a goof, but for me, that was what really got me into uh, Jeff Daniels. Yeah. I love Jeff Daniels. Anything he does, I that, watch. That movie as a kid scared the ever fucking loving shit. I don't out think of me. Steve, uh, I think he's seen it, but I don't think he's watched it since. I, I saw it whenever I was a kid. And here's the problem I always talk about this. There was another movie that I watched with arachnophobia that I can't remember what it is, and I have tried to explain it to people. Nobody yeah. knows what it we, is. We, we, we were, yeah. you, you thought you had found it. Yeah, and, and Wishmaster wasn't exactly it. And then I've post, even posted it on Reddit going, hey, motherfuckers, do you have any idea what this is? Nobody responded. <laughs> Not even to say, you're fucking crazy. It doesn't this exist, doesn't asshole. Exist. Yeah. Wow. So I'm glad that's the last three. Does, <laughs> uh, does anybody have any runners-up? Um, I do. Um, my uh, other runner-up was for Tarsim Singh, however you say his last name, for The Fall. <clears throat> Okay, yeah. yeah. I absolutely love his cinematography. It's beautiful. I'd seen The Cell, loved The Cell, but never mm. attributed it to him. God, that's such a good movie. It man. is. And then... That part um, where she wakes up in that fucking weird, exotic-looking dress, and he, like, fucking gets up out of the... I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Well, especially him standing up and the, yeah. the, his cape being the, the curtains thing. and yeah. pulling... Like, that mm. is such epic imagery. And then... Um, it's all, all, Jennifer Lopez. All stolen from, like, real right. modern art pieces. Yeah. So. Right, um, and then um, he also did The Immortals, which had great imagery. It was super dark. I won't say it's a great movie, but it like with, uh, with it's Henry way Cavill. better than Henry, Clash yeah. of the Titans for it, sure. It is. <laughs> well, I mean, like having all the Titans there in their prison, um, but all of them are holding the bars mm. with their teeth, and they just yeah, all the eyes flash up at the yeah. same time. Oh, and then the Godspeed 
Yeah, and, and then oh. um, the Minotaur being yeah. just somebody with you know that head put onto them, and you know the bulls that are um, boiling people alive. Like, yeah. oh man, it's so dark and so good. Mickey Rourke has an awesome weird bunny head thing. Yeah, but it's Mickey Rourke and just also, being like, playing pure evil. His and also like so Genghis Khan level of like my. Uh, not only will I conquer you, I will replace your bloodlines, and right, I won't. You know, I will be. The ultimate. So far, Tarsum's only misstep was Mirror Mirror. But if you look at it in the context of it being a Disney live action, a recreation of a Disney movie in live action form, it makes sense rather than doing, you know, like it it almost seems like he should have switched scripts with the, um, what was the, the Huntsman? Yeah, Snow White, Snow White and, and Huntsman. Huntsman. Should have switched scripts with that person, and it would have been classic Tarsum. But otherwise, amazing career. I will watch everything he does for the rest of my life. Do you? Uh, I have a uh, two. Um, one is a movie that I don't even know how many times. And Daryl, if you're mm. listening, we watched it probably a couple times. But the Long Kiss Goodnight. It's a Shane Black written. Uh, uh, Another one that Gina, happens during Christmas. Yeah, Gina Davis. All of his movies take place during Christmas. I love Gina Davis, uh, man. And actually, that was the movie that for me, because I saw it before I saw Pulp Fiction, that was the movie for me that, like, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. motherfucking Jackson. Motherfucker, man. <laughs> I mean, He was can't a, do a film without Sam motherfucker. Did you see the new RoboCop? No, I haven't he, seen it. At the very end, he dropped a motherfucker in it. And they bleeped yeah. it, though. But it was uh, there. <laughs> but, uh, but that was the movie that, like made me pay attention to the uh another movie that really like broke through was when i finally saw where i got to see amelie in the theater and uh that introduced me to uh jean-pierre Jeunet, who uh infamously directed alien resurrection uh but also famously co-directed delicatessen and uh city of lost children He's also directed uh, Mick Max and uh, A Very Long Engagement, which I have yet to watch Mick Max or A Very Long Engagement, but they are uh, in. We own one of them, and I need to buy Mick Max just because he, he has such odd imagery. He has this awkward, everything's kind of awkward. Everything has this kind of post-industrial kind of, you know, this weird post-apocalyptic kind of look. Even in Amelie, there's these machine there's little mechanisms and things that just look weird and strange it's just kind of his aesthetic it's just this kind of it's like he's kind of the french terry gilliam in some ways but he can make more he can make smaller more personal films than gilliam can if you really look at amelie it's such a personal personal movie with personal characters and every character makes sense and but amelie's just I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know how many times I watch it. I notice things I never noticed before. And Ooh, playing feetsies. Mm, it's hot, man. Um, My final runner-up. Yeah. yeah. Closer for everyone in it. Julia Roberts. I started watching more of her stuff. Definitely, really turned me on to Clive Owen. Um, I've been watching. Yeah, Nelly. I did. Yeah, dude. Turned Cl- you on. So, kind of a tangent here. What's if Daniel Craig? When he quits being Bond. Why can't Clive Owen be Bond? Why can't Idris Elba be Bond? Yeah, why can't Idris Elba be Bond? No, Damn it. I don't have a problem with Idris Elba being Bond. No, I know. Bond. <laughs> I'm just asking, wouldn't Clive Owen be a good Bond? Yeah. Clive Owen would be a great Bond. <laughs> um, I, I, I do have to say there's um, 
some stupid comedy um, coming out, Spy or whatever. Have you guys seen the trailer for that? Yes. There was literally, I think, one joke in the whole thing I laughed at. But I only want to see it because Jude Law's in it. Right. I was Jude, like, Jude, Jude Law's but, doing but it. But Jude Law plays as a Bond type of person. That's awesome. And, you know, he does, he's full dressed to the nines. He moves through super suave. He's holding the gun on the person. And then he, I believe he sneezes <laughs> and, and blows the guy's brains out. I think that was the one that, awesome. that Yeah, and that, that, that made me sit up and go, that this looks interesting. And then... Melissa McCarthy. And saw Melissa McCarthy. Like, oh. but, but here's the thing. The heat was hilarious. No, I no, can't the, stand her, dude. The heat was hilarious. Hey, I oh. can't stand her, dude. No, I can't. But, stand But her. yeah, Jude Law in that role was just like, oh, that's that's. I hadn't thought about him there. That could work. And then it was a big joke, and I went, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, but closer. If you haven't watched Closer, that movie's fucked up. You'll never hear Julia Roberts ever say how some dudes come tasted until you watch Closer. <laughs> that really fucked me up. I was <laughs> like, dude, this really sweet woman who I know nothing about but I've seen her in stuff like you know like Pretty Woman Well, that, like, that's kind of yeah. like watching um, what's his face and um, and Killer Joe oh Matthew McConaughey Matthew yeah. McConaughey where he's played all these romantic comedies yeah. for so long and then you get to that and he's, no Frailty he, yeah, well, frailty. No, frailty was, you know, frailty was good, but it's nothing compared to Killer Joe, where he's essentially, you know, forcing himself on a sixteen-year-old. Yeah, that's except in the place is twenty. Yeah, but you know, but yeah. just in closer, she's you know, Clive Owen screaming down her neck, you know, like, did you like it when he fucked you from behind? And she's like, yes. Where'd you do it? There, there, there. Did his cum taste? How did his cum taste? He's like, like yours, but sweeter. And I'm like, what the fuck am I listening to, man? This is great. I was going to say, it's not a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. No, it's but it's really good. You'll dig it. Okay. okay so, Lead us out, Justin. Well, um, first I was wondering, what is our topic for next week? R- our next podcast? Everybody. Desert Island. Okay. Desert Island picks. So three favorite, three picks of medium. Can't. So it could be all three movies, all three TV. It could be whatever medium, but what you take on Desert Island for the rest of your days. Okay. Um, so Dave's going to have our final thought for this evening. Um, first, you can find us at dubiousconsumers.com, dubiousconsumers.net, and at dubiousconsumer on Twitter. Um, my name is Justin Hurd. You can find me at justindheard.com, justindheard.net, justinheard.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at justindheard. On Facebook at Real Justin D. Heard, on Tumblr as Justin D. Heard, and Pinterest. I'm on there too. I think it's under Justin D. Heard. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, this is Nathan Steinman. You can find me at the Dubious Consumer on Twitter. You can find me at Nate Wad Neutron on Twitter. You can find me in the Dubious Consumer Facebook page if you post something. And you can also find me on Tumblr at Nate Wad. Uh, I'm Dave Ferguson. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at iAtheism, at Twitch at, I, at iAtheism. And then I'm actually going to do something odd. Uh, I'm going to give out my PSN name. Uh, it's X, Kezef, K-E-Z-E-F-X. If you guys want to game with me, get down. I'll smash your face at Battlefield. Division well, 2 I, in the I, world, bitch. <laughs> I can do that too. My name is Drunken Rain, R-A-I-N-E. There you go. Yeah. I can't do that. Because he's a fucking loser. Because I don't have a PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and kind of finally, you also can email the Dubious Consumers. Um, our email address is sub 
at dubiousconsumers.net. Sub S-U-B. Yes. And uh, Dave, what's your final thought? So this whole time we've been recording this evening, you finally went to go take a piss. And I knew what you did when you took a piss. It's been driving me nuts the whole fucking thing. You had this hair in your goatee. And I saw, I knew you pulled actually, it out. Actually, my wife pulled it okay, out. Okay, so you did it. You did it. Okay, I have been looking at it this whole time. And the whole time I was like, dude, I know how I'm going to end this. I'm just going to reach over there and pull it out of his goatee and go, I had to clean that for you. <laughs> because there's this scene in Star Wars, man, where that fucking Rancor in Return of the Jedi has got that slime. Yeah. And I just want to wipe it off really fucking bad. It's a really bad, I don't know, i got to wipe it off. But I saw it and I just thought, that fucking hair's got to go. <laughs> my, my wife picked it off for you. I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a good night. Have you been watching uh, Better Call Saul? Yes, I just, I just never dug Breaking Bad's. uh, I just never got into it, man. It just the show moved really slow for me. Well, we by the end of the first season and the beginning of the second season, we're like, we hate every single character. See, the only person I ever really hated was Skyler. Was that her name? Yeah. Like no, you hate Skyler like almost the whole series. Well, the thing about Skyler is, is that the time I did like her was whenever she was working with him, and but then the moment that she, you know, it's like between seasons, was it four and five? Whenever he, you know, the the two seconds that happened technically between those two seasons, she. I hate that, by the way, in fucking TV. I mean, you've I'm, been gone for a year. Well, no. I'm, I'm I'm okay with it because they're telling a story. My problem is is that she was full on board with him, and then he tells her, "Hey, I killed Gus," and she just becomes this you know sniveling, backstabbing. And the, but she does so much in that season too, because that's the season where you know the she keeps doing some of the money laundering and everything. No, no, so. Well, um, at the in season five is when everything turns against him. She, well, he, yeah, she is no longer on board with him. Um, at the beginning of season five, which is two seconds after season four. Um, but I could see that being a moment. Uh, my, my biggest problem, I think, is season um, season two. And then I think they specifically designed us to hate her. No matter what people say, you know, there's this whole big thing like, oh, she has the female lead problem. Same thing with Sopranos and all that stuff. Who, with Edie Falco? Yeah. Okay. Even though she wasn't billed number two, it was Lorraine Brocken. But, you know, with Edie Falco, people hating her and people... I loved Carmela Soprano. I I didn't have any problems with her. Um, The reason I hated Skylar is because we know what happens to Walt in the first season. You know, why he has to go on a fugue. And she spends her entire time trying to prove that he... You know, basically smoking while she's pregnant, going out at all days, all times of the day. Um, Then... Whenever Whenever he does slip up and mention his other cell phone while he's under drugs... She takes. She relishes every single moment of tearing him down to pieces. Like I knew you lied. <laughs> and, but it, you know, it's basically entire season two was showing us how much of a bitch she was. Because personally, I side with Walt. Like up until the last season, I do think he was doing it for his family. 
See, I thought he wasn't doing it for his family after season one. I, when he got the hint of money, he was no longer... When he got the hint of real money, well, it was no longer about... I think, once he I think was it was... Gus, at the, it was no longer about... Right, but I, I, I think for the and most part season, it was... The end of season two, beginning of season three. So, so, But I think for the most part, it was for his family, and then he loses his family. Like I was overjoyed at the end of season two whenever Skyler was getting the divorce from him. I was like, good, she's out of the show. You know, um, I hated and, uh, uh, I hated Gandolfini's mother. Oh, yeah. In fact, but you were designed, you were supposed to right, hate her. And that's what I think is the yeah. thing with Skylar. But then they act, she, at least she... I hate Janice. Fuck that. God, I can't stand her. But the, the, um, she wrote like a whole article, like she has a problem. She has that female lead problem because for some reason people hate her. And it's like, well, they're designed to hate you. Yeah. That's the point. They're playing a role, Here, and the role is well, to... But also, Walt's still the hero in season he, two. He is. Walt hasn't transitioned to the villain until the end of season four. Yeah, but there's not... Right. He's still... He even but his I, heel I, turn it does not come right, until I, I, the end no, of season No, I get the four. heel turn, but he's still the protagonist yeah, of but, the entire show. But, but he's not the hero anymore. Now he's the villain. Now he's transitioned to the villain. Even though he's the protagonist, yeah. he's still the villain. Yeah. Right. Um, well, to tell you how much I hated his um, grandmother or his mother in Sopranos, Olivia, yeah, yeah. When they told us she died and never showed us a body, <laughs> I refused to believe it until I looked up and went, "Oh, she actually died in between." Yes, she died in the filming of the show. Oh, okay. Well, I guess <laughs> so she that explains why there's no like, body. They just, they, like, oh. like they shot around like, oh, yeah, it's totally her corpse. Oh. And I was just like, there's no way she's dead. She's too evil of a spirit to die. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah she, she was a cunt, man. She was a cunt. Did you ever watch The Sopranos? I haven't made it through yet. I haven't made it to it yet. Oh, man. You have HBO now? Well, yeah. but uh, well, well, nope, I mean, no you excuses. have it part of Amazon Prime. There's yeah, no excuses now. But we have that and The Wire. And uh, I've heard better things about The No, Wire. dude. The Sopranos is literally the best... American television that's ever been put on TV. I've heard the exact same thing about The Wire. The w- Especially because it's at a certain point... It, Let me ask you this. From what I heard... Do you have a high-definition television? Well, no. We just have a digital television. Is it... What do you mean a digital TV? It's just a digital TV. Is it a flat screen? Yeah, it's a flat screen. It's a high-definition television. Okay. It doesn't say high-definition. It does. There is no such thing as non... You can't buy a non-HD TV anymore. Okay. Because well, we, we <laughs> they don't like broadcast third. a non-HD TV anymore. Yeah. My point is... You can't watch The Wire in HD. You know why? Because they're a bunch of cunts. They um, lose points right there. What, basically, what, <laughs> what happened is whenever they started filming The Wire, it was in 4.3. Yeah. And th- I think, Which, by the way, was after The Sopranos. Yeah, they, but they, they started but filming also, after The Sopranos. The Sopranos probably had the bigger budget oh, for sure. to, uh, to pay for the yeah. millions of dollars it was going to take to transfer all that shit to HD. Well, they've recently... I think they just stretched it. I think yeah, they stretched they it now. It, but it just looks. Can, Th- that's what I hear from yeah. everybody. Is it just, it's got a really like the cinematography of the show is phenomenal. I think Idris Elba is amazing in anything he does. But did you finish Luther? Uh, we're on season three of Luther. Oh, damn it! I can't wait to talk to you about more of Luther. Tell me the first episode of season one of Luther didn't fuck you up, man. You were like, what kind of show is this? This was on regular TV? What's funny is I I watched like the first three episodes 
And then I was like, Aaron, you're going to have to watch this with me. So I rewatched <laughs> those first three episodes. And, we, and I was just like, this is even better. But the first this- 20 minutes, it, this guy is dangling to his death, you yeah. know? like, And he just like, yeah, fuck it. I still haven't you. watched. <laughs> I still haven't watched Luther. Sad face. You son of a bitch. Uh, I need to. Let's buy him out. Okay. <laughs> um, so actually, I can't afford it right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Yes. Was it fun? It was a lot of fun. We had quite the quite the fun time. <laughs> you say it so modestly, you know. Well, it, it w- we had we had quite the fun time. Do you want your teacup to hold <laughs> with two fingers? <laughs> Stick your pinky out while you drink it. <laughs> Drink your beer like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, Dave, last um, last podcast he talked about going to the opera. Yeah. God, you cunt. I know. <laughs> it was awesome. We saw the world's, I'm pretty sure the world's first horror opera. Horror opera, that sounds awesome, actually. Yeah, it was fucking amazing. <laughs> we saw like an okay kind of, it was two because they were both short. And so it was, it was an okay, it was Tchaikovsky, it was the last opera he ever wrote, it was kind of religious, it was, the story was really fucking dated, really fucking Did dated. you go see Book of Mormon? I remember you talking about you yeah, were going to Yeah, we saw Book of Mormon. Yeah, was it good? It was awesome. It was amazing. Man. It was, it was worth every moment of music. So I'm officially goodness. going to cancel the podcast, Archer Season 5 is on Netflix <laughs> now, so I've got to go. What's on, what is? Archer Season 5. Uh, see, I can't get into that show either. Oh, you're wrong. I'm it's sorry. Just, he's... It's it's okay. Too, it's too much of a parody of James Bond so, so, and all okay. that. <laughs> the first episode on the DVD, they have a special feature where they said originally we went, went you know we were actually skewing a little bit older for Archer. So here's the original screen tests, and it's the entire first episode with instead of it being Archer. It's a velociraptor. <laughs> <laughs> the exact same thing, him being inter- interrogated by the Russian at the beginning and him kicking up his leg <laughs> and kind of waving it in front of his head. And all he does is screech the entire thing. And everybody else has the exact same lines, everything. See, see this is already a better show than what I've seen of Archer. Oh, man. It, I, I love Archer so much. It's kind of like, you know... You know, it's I just, like how deadpan it is. I love the deadpan. Oh like, yeah, well, no, everyone's five, very nonplussed about everything. <laughs> well, well, season five is called Archer Vice yeah. because they um, get raided, and it turns out that they never actually had a license to do all this special <laughs> agent stuff. So, in order to keep the, they decide to become drug lords, yeah. and um, Pam becomes addicted to cocaine. <laughs> So much so that she actually has a body cast made out of cocaine, and she eats it, and becomes skinny and hot. <laughs> At which Archer and her start fucking on the regular. Uh. It, it's it's really really good because they start going out of Cheryl's uh, mansion, and that's where they're operating out of, and they're doing all these you know illegal um, undercover guerrilla missions and stuff like that. It's so good. And then season six happens. Is go, what's going on now? And they basically were like, yeah, that didn't work out for us. We're we're back, you know. We kind of went off on our experimental period. Yeah, but uh, Marvel Universe Live it was it was actually a lot of fun. It was surprisingly, it wasn't really geared. It was what? very children okay. geared. It's it's more like the Avengers cartoon, sure. But uh, oh shit, they did a really what? what? Oh, I'm trying to think of the stuff I'm going to talk about. I watched the entirety of Justice League Unlimited this past two weeks, which is amazing. It is really good. That's one of the best. I watched the uh, redo of uh, 
the superhero beatdown or superpower beatdown of uh, Darth Vader and Batman, where Batman won. Ah, it's pretty good. I haven't. I've heard about them, but I haven't seen it, any. Oh, of they're yet. great, man! They are fantastic because they're like really they, high production for YouTube videos. You know what I mean? Well, and, and they and they they do live action actors, yeah. and all that stuff. So it, it it's so it's crazy. Like at the end of it, you know, like uh, Vader's like fixing to blow up his his Batwing spaceship ish kind of thing because he went to the Death Star. Batman's, by the way, only person who doesn't use the Force who's smart enough to know how to use a lightsaber. Very accurate portrayal yes. of Batman, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, well, so Vader's, like, crushing the... Uh, he's, like, crushing the ship, and then he catches Batman as the ship blows up and protects him just so he could kill him. It was like, you know, your science didn't save you now, Batman, you know, in the Darth Vader voice, and then Batman's like, it wasn't supposed to. Oh, your Superman, did not save yeah. Yeah, and he just like he like, and then Superman just like flies, boom, and it like runs into Vader, and Vader's like all kinds of fucked up because Superman just hit him at like near light speed, and Batman's like it wasn't supposed to, (laughs) you know, and you know, and then uh, Superman's all like, oh, you won, Bruce, I know, yes. (laughs) Uh, The thing that was impressive is as like a live show, uh, there was a guy on fire. Whoa! There's a guy with fire whips at one point. This is all the Killian, the guy yeah. playing Killian from Iron Man Three. So that was all interesting. There was a lot more of the aerial. You know, they're all hooked up to harnesses, harnesses and, stuff. and stuff, and but flying around like Captain. You Mark. can't edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> but it looked it looked really good, and and they did a, they did a fair job of like making sure that there was enough going on in most of the battles simultaneously that to everyone, hold interest. In the, everyone in the arena had something to like focus on and something to kind of look away to. And what section were you in? Uh, we were actually. Do you remember where it was? It was D. One eighteen. You're yeah. on the floor level. That's good. Yeah. It was when really I go good. to Thunder Games, I'm all the way up in the nosebleeds, man. Yeah, it was. The tickets were were moderate. They were only like sixty, I think. Yeah. And we were right there, so that's cool. The one thing that they uh, sold us on this guy literally has these boomerangs that are these little spherical boomerangs. And his whole job was literally to go out there and throw them and watch, throw them at the crowd, watch them come right back to him and go, okay, I have to get that. What's weird is that boomerangs tend to not come back like yeah. that. Well, well but they're, they're round and they yeah. specifically are made to pretty much go exactly where. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. But see, you know, they do a good job in the movies with that because he uses geometry yeah. to get them to come back. Yeah. He has to throw them at the right angle or else they won't come back. But in the cartoons and in the comic, he throws it and it just comes back. Do you know the kind of English you got to put on that thing in order to get it to come back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the counter-revolutions alone have got to be, you know... Oh, enormous, yeah. You know, in the three or He's four thousand overcome, revolutions over, a overcome some physics here. Yeah, you know? For every single time. Yeah. It's like, dude, you've broken your wrist at least three times. Yeah, your shoulder, your rotator cuff's gone. I don't care if you're super engineered or not, man. That shit is... You're not, you're not Thor, okay? Yeah. But, I mean, that's the difference between the movies and the cartoons. Which, by the way, in that superhero beatdown, Superman beat Thor. Bullshit. 
Well, I mean, my my one kind of problem with the superhero beatdown stuff now is that the idea originally and for the longest time was this is what people voted. Yeah. We're going to write a script and perform it based off that idea. Right. And now it seems like every single one is but here's the alternate take of it. Yeah. Like they're, they're well, trying, I mean, you know, they're just trying to appeal to both audiences. I know. And from a marketing standpoint, that's genius. It's, it's a better way to go, yeah. but it would be better if it was once in a while. Like they, I think the first time they did it was between Scorpion and the white Ranger. Yeah. Because it was so close. And then they did one between Captain America and, uh, uh, the Master, and Chief. Master Chief, which is bullshit. Chief would wipe the floor with this guy. He, he took out an alien space station single fucking handedly. I don't know if I've ever told you. I used to own the Halo um, board game, yeah, where you kind of build the stuff. And I was playing as the Arbiter, and well, I was playing. I wish as, they would just make was, a game playing, about him. By the way, but I was playing as the uh, the Elite, yeah, and it was one a dice rolling game. And I went and just mopped the floor with the UNSC people, <laughs> and all that was left was the Master Chief. And was like, Kate's like, oh, I'm done. I was like, obviously, you haven't played the game. <laughs> she pre- proceeded to wipe out my entire team <laughs> by herself with random dice rolls. Because now, what's funny Master is if you Chief. read the Halo novels, that's the one thing that. I can't remember her name. What is her name? The 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 creator of the Spartan program. What was oh, her I name? I have no idea. I, I never got that deep into it. No, you read play the games. I, I did, but I don't fucking remember that stuff. Anyway, whatever her name is. By the way, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> if any of you know, please comment. Um, yes, they, it doesn't matter. We're probably recording <laughs> now, and it's going to be in it. <clears throat> Um, he'll probably just like cut when we do the hello, welcome to Doobies Consumers. He'll probably just cut that and put that at the beginning. Anyway, point is, the one thing that she said about John Spartan was that he was lucky. So it's hilarious. That's the one characteristic that set him apart from all the other ones is that they weren't lucky. They were good enough to get the job done, but he was able to do shit that no one could do because he's fucking lucky. Here she is beating his ass with lucky dice rolls. It's like As a real Master thing. Chief, yeah. As Master Chief. It's like and character trait. It, 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 well, no, it just went full circle. 